shotglassdigital.com. She's screwing dough pot, Slimo. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. To learn more, go to littledebbie.com forward slash Cosmic Cupcakes. With movies, gaming, books, comics, and collecting, a Little Debbie snack makes everything a little sweeter. Little Debbie, official snack of the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? At last we will have revenge. I'm going to take off! Fear is the path to the dark side. Wipe the map. All of them. All right, welcome to our film commentary series once again. Sam Whitwer. Hello. Hello. So we're going to tackle The Phantom Menace. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We, we, this is the first time that we have actually done one of these for one of the prequel movies. Who, so. who has done... Has anyone done this? Are, are we... Uh, are we sailing into uncharted waters here? What's well, George on? Lucas has done it. George and... Uh, you know, John Knoll, et cetera, et cetera. But it, uh, as far as uh, actually, you know what? Who are the guys, the Mystery Science Theater guys? They, they've done this. <laughs> I'm sure they they've have. done Phantom Menace. Yeah, but, um, but everyone does it in, with such a critical eye. Keep in right. mind, there are people who have gone through this film frame by frame and just ripped it to shreds. And that's and not what this commentary is going to be all about. That is not our purpose here. Yes, we could sit here and we could critique the hell out of it and we could go through it. I mean, hell, I'm, you know, I work in the industry and I see things with a, I, I'd like to think a pretty critical eye. So, I, yes, we could go into that. But the, the goal here is to have fun with it and talk about, you know, what's cool. You know, we're, that's that's what we all discuss and that's what we want to do. Yeah, because there is a lot of cool stuff in The Phantom Menace, regardless on whether or not you think Jar Jar Binks was a good idea. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in this film. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually Indeed. excited to uh, read Jar Jar's dialogue. I've got the subtitles going, so uh-huh. um, I don't think I've ever read his dialogue on the subtitle track. So. <laughs> be kind of interesting. How do you spell "squeeze me"? I'm just I uh, can't wait. <laughs> We're gonna find out. I don't know. Right, right. Ask Wayne's World. <laughs> but, oh, right. Yeah, that's right. But okay, so um, right. we have our Blu-ray. Of the yes. Phantom Menace. That's what we're going to use for this particular commentary. But as we've mentioned before in previous commentaries, this will probably work along with your DVD of the Phantom Menace as well. You know what we should mention? Actually, I don't. I'll, I'll just throw this. I don't think it'll work with the DVD. Well, I think the time. We got an email, Jimmy, uh, not that long ago from a listener who sent us some uh, comparisons between 
the Phantom Menace Blu-ray and the DVD, and there are a few uh, additions, very, very minor, but there are some things that were in the original theatrical cut that were not in the DVD release that are now reinserted. Does that email sound familiar to you? It's it's interesting. Yeah, the, these cuts, just like everything, just like all the Star Wars movies, have changed. And I, I noticed oh, yeah. some differences here. I noticed some differences in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, the, like you said, Sam, the the, the original trilogy is not the only not the only ones that are uh, uh, you know prey to this. Uh, uh, special edition. Yeah, yeah, without them being actually special editions. So I don't think it'll work. The other thing we might want to mention is that since the release of the, the mega box set, so I can't really say whether it's, – it's, it's difficult to say whether they're, you know, are, they're exactly the same. They're clones of each other. Um, I think the or, Blu-rays are consistent with the Blu-rays. I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't hear about any new changes. But, you know, if I know our listening audience as well as I think I do, I don't even think they need to watch the film to follow along with this commentary (laughs) track. Everyone knows this film. You've seen it 500 times. It's The Phantom Menace, and we're going to be watching the Blu-ray tonight. But I think you'll get a lot of entertainment value, even if you're just driving around in your car listening, walking the dog, working out at the gym, what have you. Let's do it. it. I love it. So right now we're all looking at the menu screen. And uh, there's, they're showing a lot of images from the film itself. And at the bottom, you see a bunch of choices. On the lower left-hand corner, you see the word play. You want to make sure that's highlighted. Does everyone have that highlighted? Yes, sir. All right. So I think we're ready to make this happen, Captain. So I'm going to give right. us the old countdown. And when I say punch it, hit play. So here right. we go. In three, two, one, punch it. Right, play is highlighted, and the screen is blank. So we are eagerly anticipating the beginning of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. It brings back memories of sitting there in that darkened movie theater back on May 19, 1999, eagerly waiting for the, the crawler to pop up and immerse myself in a brand new Star Wars experience for the first time in 16 years. Yeah, this was a big deal for all of us. We were all waiting. I mean, we all went to, uh, what was it, Wing Commander to try to see the, the trailer for Phantom Menace oh, to try boy, to get our was, first uh, glimpse. Meet Joe Black, I yeah. believe. Was meet Joe Black. Of- yeah, for <laughs> us it was Wing Commander, which was, uh-huh. you know, not, <laughs> not perhaps what it could have been. Uh, uh, I think I, I uh, was bouncing between Meet Joe Black and the Water Boy. Water we boy, saw Water Boys. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so I saw the end of the Water Boy in the beginning of Joe Water Black, boy, right? And then yeah. I went and saw the beginning of the Water Boy. It's so hilarious. That Water Boy was getting a Star Wars boost. That's very funny. To me. How about it? <laughs> well, um, in the Matrix too. I mean, the Matrix probably would not have become what it became had it not had that trailer at the top. Ah, and had that to think. So this was, uh, you know, the audience was going wild at this point. With oh, this, uh, it was like a rock concert. I, I've never experienced anything like it before or since. You know, people complain about this opening crawl, and I, I understand their gripes. They say, you know, in uh, episode four, it's a very dramatic thing, and it explains all this conflict and stuff like that. But uh, I get the point here. The point is, things are okay, but now things are getting kind of kind of crappy like no explosions have happened yet but right you know no one's blown up but 
but we have some problems. There are some problems with the way things are being run. You know, we have a situation. Well, it, it all yeah, hits the fan. You know, it's all based in politics is right. how the, the Sith began to to contain the galaxy in a stranglehold. It was all mm-hmm. done with political machinations and uh, behind-the-scenes puppetry, essentially. You know, it's one of the things in talking with people like Dave Filoni and people um, who were there. Uh, Dave Filoni wasn't there when this was being made, but, but there are other people that I talked to who were at Lucasfilm when this was being done. And that George purposefully um, took a macro view rather than a micro view with these films, that it was more akin to, uh, you know, the, the overarching story, the political story about how a republic, how a democracy becomes a, a, a monarchy, or not a monarchy, a dictatorship. And, uh, and that it's, you know, in a weird way, the storytelling is, has more in common with, like, Excalibur than it does with um, A New Hope in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. In that you know the the dialogue is sparse, and you uh, you're doing everything in very broad strokes rather than getting super specific, you know. Um, which is you know it's uh, it's an interesting choice, and I know that uh, that at some point when it came time to do the Clone Wars, George said, let's, "Let's go back to the because it's a TV series. Let's go back to the micro approach where we really mm. zoom in to the to the characters." That's interesting. I think that uh, one of the things that the prequel trilogy does uh, is gives you this incredible sense of scale. Everything just seems enormous in these films. I mean, yes, even the, the the way it's shot. And um, so, yeah, I, I can definitely see that as being a theme. Now, there there's something I remember about this this opening scene. Um, with the, with the with the two Jedi here, I, I always felt that in this case that Obi Wan was um, has a ponytail. I lo- I, I, yeah, <laughs> I lost my train. That Obi Wan right here. Yeah, right. I got all captivated. I'm trying to help so, you out here, man. Yeah, no, I know. Ponytail. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, he has a he has a ponytail, but um, it's the beginning of his Jedi mullet that he has in the next movie. He's growing it out now. Right. What's what's going on exactly with the Jedi hairstyles? It's kind well, of interesting. But. Yeah, I guess originally there were some pretty there were some very radical ideas thrown around about what the Jedi would look like, and uh, and George decided to stick with the more traditional Seven Samurai look. Um, well, I'm kind of glad big, that it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that he went with a look that does evoke the the, the what was established with Alec Guinness in Episode yeah. Four. I, some of the concept work was maybe a little bit too samurai for me. I think right, that in episode right. yeah, four. Yeah, I saw some of those with the top knots and all that stuff. Yeah, right. I think um, in episode four. Now, this was surprising to me that we saw Darth Sidious as a hologram. Right out of the gate. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. You know, back to the, um, the wardrobe. I always thought in episode four that Obi-Wan's garb was just more in response to the environment he was living in because it was so similar to what you saw uncle owen wearing and luke and just the the denizens of moss Eisley. but as it turns out here it was a variation of the jedi uniform for lack of a better term that was established here in episode one Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's true it does it does seem a little bit like uh what what owen wears i never really thought about that 
Oh, it seemed to me I, I had the same reaction to it. I, I didn't know that those were Jedi robes per se. I think I maybe figured it out later. But as a kid, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's just desert gear. You know, it's just how everyone right. sort of dressed. Right, exactly, exactly. But um, we, they, there's a lot of Japanese influence in all the wardrobe in Episode 4. And oh, by the way, this is the first fart joke here. I appreciate that. The, the gas, oh, excuse me. Oh, <laughs> TCF 14 comes out. Yeah, you, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe that's my inner seventh grader uh, <laughs> coming out. But uh, I, was, now, I just thought it was the first one. This, when, as soon as the Star Wars theme <laughs> kicks in here, I remember right. screaming at the top of my lungs, and so was the audience. And the guy next to me was angry at me for having, you know, uh, an emotional reaction. <laughs> and I, and I, to which I was just, are you kidding me, man? We're, we're watching the first Star Wars movie in I don't know how many years. And we're not allowed to cheer because somehow that's going to get in the way of your enjoyment. I should have just elbowed him in the face. You really should have. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, for, go for many of us long-term fans, th- this was something of a religious experience to be there. Oh, this moment? See brand new Jedi in action in their prime for the first time ever. Oh, hearing, yeah. Yes, hearing the music, everything. Stabbing through walls, which we'd never seen. And also these, these lightsaber sound effects were... To our ears, we, we must have thought, oh, well, that's how lightsabers sound. But these are actually, a lot of them, very new sound effects that Ben Burt came up with that evoked the character of the lightsabers from the other movies, but they're different sound effects. They're newer. They're, they're, they're more alive. They're more um, You're right. dangerous you know, sound. Sam, yeah, when you go back to um, episode four, they, uh, they, there's a very tinny sound yeah. to, the, to the sabers uh, that this doesn't have. Yeah, um, these are way more... There's you in CG hair. Now notice what is CG hair? <laughs> well, I, I I swear that there was uh, pickup shots that were done, and there's yeah. moments where you can tell he's wearing a wig. Yes, or yes, or, okay. or it's CG. I, there, there's something. I, I, no, I I doubt it's CG. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they put on a. I think they a wig. I think what it is. No, it isn't that a wig. But look at his hair now. It's just that his hair was shorter here. They tried to style his longer hair as if it was the shorter hair. Now his hair right now. Oh, okay, all right. Buzzed, freshly buzzed, and then there are times where you see his hair is a lot more filled in. Yeah, but they're still yeah. trying to treat it like, you know, like it's that. So you know, it's clearly he was like, well, but I'm trying to do another show. You know? <laughs> I love that my Ewan McGregor sounds like a really bad John Lennon, which is not at all what he sounds like. Oh, I'm Ewan McGregor. No, I'm not. <laughs> Actually, it's pretty damn good. I'd say. I think well, James uh, Arnold Taylor. I'm, I'm aping James Arnold Taylor. Yes. Okay, badly. No. I, I think badly. at one point James did confirm to us that there is a little bit of John Lennon in his Ewan McGregor voice. Oh, there's there's so oh absolutely a little bit. Yeah. Right. Well, you guys need to James if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta say though, it makes sense for James to do that because James is James Obi Wan is a little bit of a rock star, so. You know, True. Mm. Makes sense. This is true. Obi Wan Kenobi, come over here. <laughs> Sit on Obi's lap. <laughs> Did you like the He's... show? Would you like backstage <laughs> passes? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, the, the 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 queen that we just saw was that was that Portman. Yes, yes that was me. All right. Yeah. All right. You know, I always think I... back to a funny uh, illustration in Mad Magazine done by oh, Sergio. 
Aragonis, and um, it was that scene where Amidala is sitting there in that throne, and she's talking to the the viceroys and stuff. And then when she's done, she just simply removes her face from a cutout in the throne and just goes about her business. It was like. <laughs> You know, when you go to the amusement park and you put your face through through the hole and right. somebody takes a picture and, you know, you're mm-hmm. like a you're like a donkey head or something. <laughs> that, is, that is kind of what these costumes are like. I mean, they I mean, they're just they're well, they're so they're so impractical. I'll tell you uh, what's going on here and you're going to see it. I, I'll bring it up later when we start seeing the spaceships. But when when she showed up on that video screen, that was the same sound effect that the video screen and, and a very similar visual effect. The video screen had in Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe from yeah, the 30s. That's true. That and all true. of these, like back when they did those, they basically dressed people up and, you know, they were very cheaply made. So they had, you know, some garb from whatever medieval movie was being made somewhere. And everyone, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the future or in space, right. everyone wears medieval <laughs> peasant garb right. or something. You're right. And so what they're doing here is they're just doing like, well, here's what the kids thought they were seeing back in the 30s. This is liter- This is what they thought they were seeing made literal right. you know, with high production value. I mean, this this whole movie, you know, people talk a lot about, oh, it's, you know, they got the design wrong, which I violently disagree with. And I always did. I was just like, no, this is what, this is what it would have looked like before the galaxy started going to hell. You know, everything was a little bit more uh, shiny and nice and everything is a little, little bit more artistic and designed. But, but more than anything, it's Flash Gordon. It's like the most literal representation of George Lucas's intention to make a Saturday morning serial. Right. You, know? it, it, you you do have to wonder, though, you know, had George Lucas made episode four, A New Hope in 2008, 2009, or excuse me, 1998, 1999, um, it, it may have looked more like this. I mean, th- these yeah. are ideas that he's had in his head for a long time. And um, so I, it, and it is it is funny, when Sam, when you mentioned, you know, people say, oh, they got the design wrong. Like, really, who George Lucas did? Like, he got the design out of his head wrong? You know, I mean, Whoa. he's the one that's green lighting this stuff. How but could yeah, it be I, wrong? I, I get, I get what they're saying is that oh no, they they want to see something that's familiar. And mm. the simple fact of the matter is, is you have to wait a couple movies before you start getting there. Um, right, right. You know that there is a real visual progression from this movie all the way to A New Hope, and uh, and I think it's well done. I mean, this the the thing that people forget about all these things is that this was the first Star Wars movie that had that had people thinking about what it should be for over, what, 25 years, something like that, 20 years? So Close to 20 years, yeah. Close to 20 years, right. So, so people had a lot of preconceived notions of, as to what it should feel like, what it should look like, the character of the film, which is not something the other movies had to contend with, right? So That any movie has had to deal with, really. Well, that any movie has <laughs> had to deal with. Yeah, so, so when, they, when it wasn't up to their expectations, they just assumed that it's wrong. But the fact is, is that, uh, visually, I I completely agree stylistically with all these choices. It should look like this. It should. I mean, it's going back, like I said, to the root of where he got the idea, which is George Lucas sitting in a, you know, in a theater in his youth, mm-hmm. watching these Flash Gordon serials. That's that's what this is, and right. uh, yeah, except with just incredible production value. And, <laughs> sure. uh, Indeed, and the used universe starts coming in. Well, it's still there. There's still aspects of things that look like they're well used especially when we get to tattooing but um but that comes in later you know in terms of the whole galaxy being this mass-produced nightmare and for people that say oh but 
but that's not how it goes. It looks more futuristic, and then it looks crappy, and it's like, dude, have you seen the 80s, man? Look at, <laughs> look at, a, car, look at a car in the 40s. Look yeah. at a car in the 40s, and then look right. at a car in the 80s. Right. A car in the 40s was like this handcrafted, you know, these wonderful smooth lines with these nice curves and these beautiful beautiful cars in the 80s they were boxes right That's every right. damn one of them was a box i actually not so long ago just went online and just looked up all these different 80s car designs and i'm just like how the hell did we survive this decade like what the hell was wrong with us? <laughs> you know like how did we drive these things and feel okay about it it's just you know every time you see an 80s movie and you see someone drive you're like you get depressed you're like oh <laughs> No love for the Chevy Citation yeah, from you. <laughs> I just want to say, you know, one of the things that's so great about George is his use of various environments. Yeah. And so in the original trilogy, you saw forest, you saw ice, you saw uh, swamp, you saw desert. And it was like, well, how, when the new trilogy was coming, how's he going to top himself? Where's he going to go? Underwater, of course. Underwater. I mean, you know, first time we see Star Wars characters swimming. Yeah. Oh, and, and also. I mean, it's very new. Is- Unlike anything that we'd seen in any of the other movies, and, and I argue that it must be. It has to be. Otherwise, watch the other movies. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. you know it has to be. I mean, it, it's, something, it's a conversation me and Filoni had a lot, which is if you're going to do something, you have to do something new. You can't just retread where you've been as much as people think they want that. And, uh, and so you have to... You know, you have to take risks, and, and sometimes people are not going to be crazy about the risks. I mean, this, this environment by itself is just a huge risk for Star Wars. It doesn't necessarily look like, quote-unquote, Star Wars, but, but guess what? Now it's Star Wars. Now it is. Now it is. You, yeah, you've now right. expanded the visual language of what Star Wars is by, by taking a risk. That's, that's what they did here, and, and I like talk that. About, yeah, talk so. about presence. This is a character that uh, I think Boss Nass is one of those few um, – of the of all the, the the prequel films that really stands out, this is a it's a very cool character design. It's a it's great voice work by Brian Blessed, and uh, very memorable, very memorable. You know, there I, I I will not be entirely just like in the other films. I will not be entirely devoid of critique. That one of the interesting things about this is um, that George said you're not necessarily supposed to understand everything the Gungans are saying. Just you're supposed to get the gist. And I believe what you need to make that work is you just need moments where you and McGregor or Liam Neeson look at each other and say, it, with a look of, what did he just say? And if you do that, <laughs> then the audience feels that the anxiety of the audience feels like they're missing something goes away. They go, mm. oh, it's okay to not understand what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that the Jedi are going, yeah, we get it, we get it. And right. the audience is going, what? What, what are yeah. we getting? I, I would love it if uh, you and, and just suddenly went new we song. What the hell are you talking about, guy? On, you know, and, well, and we get a little bit of that. You McGregor's Masa, what's a bongo right here? <laughs> right, right. But um, <laughs> John Lennon. But uh, but we needed, you know, we needed a little bit more of that to for the audience to feel at ease because I remember being very much like I was leaning in, going, "What is going on? What are they saying?" And if what you do- know that that's okay. It's like, you know, I remember what, when, when they were doing the, the next Batman and Chris Nolan was saying, no, we don't want to understand everything that Bane says. And the problem is, and throughout that whole movie, is that everyone responds to Bane as if they understand what he's saying. So if you don't right. have someone reacting, you know, and he's like, <laughs> Yes, Bane. 
It's like how the Peanuts <laughs> gang always understands the teacher, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> We're saying, right. But at least they translate for the teacher. That's Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, they're, at this point, we now know essentially what's going on so we don't have the same anxiety when we watch the scene but right right so so what do we think what do you guys think that qui-gon is sensing in jar jar banks i mean why so we know that qui-gon is he's all about the living force and he believes that things happen for a reason um do do you think that he senses that that jar jar has some role to play um Yes, yes the creation of the empire yeah, that's right. What well, was he sensing? I mean, he does, but but that's a good point. But um, yeah, smooth move, Liam. <laughs> good job. And could have let this guy die, and he would have been a lot better off. And, and you know, I know I'm I'm working ahead here. Oh my god, the the special effects in the sequence are just amazing. Even 15 years later, but I I know I'm 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 running ahead here. But what is it? that Jar Jar Binks brings to the cause? That's a great question you asked, Jason. He obviously, Qui-Gon obviously senses that there's some sort of value in adding this character to their their cadre, but it doesn't really add up because I want to know, what does Jar Jar bring to the table outside of his connection to the Gungan army? All right. Here, here's the here's the thing that I I, I like in this too, you know the guy the, the guy in school that always kind of had the the loser friends. Like he was a nice guy, he was kind of a popular guy, but for whatever reason he attracted deadbeats and losers. And I get the sense <laughs> that's Qui Gon Jinn. That that's Qui Gon Jinn. <laughs> that because you know later you know, Obi Wan says you know. Uh, why do I get the sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? Uh, you like, like, like it's a pattern with this guy. Like he's God's always like, bringing Obi-Wan, someone home. You understand? You haven't drank with him. He's really a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get some beers, and then you're gonna understand. He's actually a cool guy to have around. <laughs> the more beer you drink, the more sense he makes. Yeah, he, right. He buys us beer, but. Yeah. I, it, it, but uh, so I, I feel like it's a pattern that if we were to have to, to see, uh, you know, ad- adventures with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon that, you know, Obi-Wan was always kind of a sucker for a hard luck case. Right. Or Qui-Gon was. Or Qui-Gon rather. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obi-Wan yeah. wasn't so much. Obi-Wan was like, no, we should just kill this guy and skin him. I mean, my God. <laughs> well, Obi-Wan, you get the, stop. You get the sense that that Obi-Wan is, is uh, impatient, much like Luke is impatient uh, yeah. later in the original trilogy. Um, I, I always wondered if they were going more towards a uh, uh, a Luke vibe with Obi-Wan, young Obi-Wan, or more of a Han Solo. Uh, I guess there really is no Han Solo of the of the prequel trilogy, would you Would you say? Right. There, there isn't, and it's interesting that, that when they did the Clone Wars, they kind of made Anakin the Han Solo. Yes, uh, yes. A little bit. He was sort of the... The guy with the attitude. Yeah. Right. But, uh, which, you know, when you see how this is all set up, it kind of had to be him um, mm. that, that had sort of a, you know, a detached view of things and kind of some skepticism because these guys have all been growing up in a monastery, right? They've all, right. They all have this discipline that they've been trained with since childhood. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Anakin's been that, that, out there in the so real far. world. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was just saying, Anakin's been out there in the real world while these guys, like 
like Sam says, they've been sheltered within the, the monastery or the temple, what have you. And um, he presents more of a realistic view on what's happening around them. So yes. obviously he's going to be more cynical. By the way, this, exactly. uh, these shots are just incredible. And, you know, everyone says, oh, the prequels and Phantom Menace in particular, let's talk about Phantom Menace. They say, oh, it's digital, it's digital, it's digital, it doesn't look real. Uh, it sure as hell looks real. Oh, shut yeah. up. I mean, <laughs> it look really at that. And furthermore, yeah. part of the reason it looks so damn real is that it's not fully digital. Those are models, ladies and gentlemen. Like all those buildings, that's right. model photography. And uh, they built a lot of stuff for this film. And they pushed the digital thing because they were trying a new digital character and they were trying these battle droids are digital. So they were, they were pushing the envelope. And they were and they were proud of that, and so there was obviously a, a lot of talking points. Uh, by the way, that's Kira Knightley now as dressed okay, as the queen. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. But, uh, I, never, but, I can't follow that. Yeah, that's her. And but but uh, you know, so so they were definitely as PR points pushing the digital angle. But the fact is, this movie has tons. Even even the spaceships and the, tra- the Trade Federation ship and the Queen ship and all that stuff. These are models, and uh, and if the movie looks different we talked about this a little bit in the, in the return of the jedi commentary it's just that movies look different these days i mean this was shot on film you know movies that are shot on film at a certain uh time they look of that time you know i mean star trek into darkness does not look like the empire strikes back and that's largely right. to do with you know how and what it's shot on um so yeah you know this is to me this looks beautiful and is look totally looks like a star wars movie to me oh no, no doubt about it i mean it's it's uh it has cemented itself i think firmly into the into the whole saga by the way so we've seen some uh, force powers already we saw um the jedi mind trick with boss nass and i always felt that that and uh when qui-gon puts his hand on jar jar's shoulder inside the uh the yeah. bongo uh, that it was downplayed way too much. There was no, there was no musical cue. There was nothing that really tipped there was you. No you really had to be, in the speech, uh, speakers. Uh, little, uh, right. Yeah. There, there was, there was nothing. I just thought it was that was force roofie, force, <laughs> yeah. force, force. Seriously, take a chill pill. Yeah, that was yeah the force chill pill. What I always force found interesting is yeah to go back to that scene in the bongo is that Jar Jar Binks himself reveals knowledge of the force when he says maxi big the force he knows he knows about it he's actually seen it in use is what i believe and i I don't know where he would have had that experience but there he has some sort of connection i think the idea is that everyone knows about the jedi they just haven't not everyone has seen one you know there are only Mm. there's something like ten thousand of them in in the galaxy at this point and when you consider that there are you know like a, a million or two star systems, that's not a lot of Jedi running around. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, they're, they're legendary. They're these, they're these legendary figures that use something called the force and it's supposedly real, you know? Um, I, uh, this hangar bay is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, all this is just so much detail. It's the thing you love about these star Wars movies is there's just endless things to look at and it feels like a real world that you're living in. Sam, you say the Jedi are legendary at this point in the, the uh, chronology, but by the time we make, make it to the original trilogy, I believe that the Jedi are more of a fairy tale in, in the source Well, it's because of- the Emperor has suppressed 
knowledge of the force. You right. know, the best way to to maintain power is to have a monopoly on the force. And so he has made sure that the force is now ridiculed. It's 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 not supposed to be something that's even real. And uh, you know, and it, he takes out anyone that uses the force, and and so therefore it becomes this this ancient sort of pagan religion that was outlawed, you know, outlawed and then later just forgotten about, you know, that's, it's a good strategy on the emperor's part. You yeah. Know? That, that was the big surprise is that the emperor is actually a force user after all this talk of his entire army and Navy doesn't <laughs> believe in it, but his servant uses it. So what's up with that? I mean, that's a, in episode four, there's a very interesting, um, question that's posed you know you see a bunch of imperial officers ridiculing the force and then vader says yeah yeah not so fast why how does that work i mean it already it, it right. establishes that vader is not part of that hierarchy that he's apart from it that he's yes. representing something different um and then this is oh i love this the little intro of r2 because we'd always heard that this is what these little astromechs were built for but we never saw them do anything you know we never saw r2 really get out there and do what he's supposed to be doing. And by the way, the design of this spaceship is Flash Gordon. It's a Flash Gordon rocket ship. You know, you almost are expecting to see the little sparkler at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Boy, uh, that uh, Captain Panaka, he's just, uh, he's one frame away from dropping the (laughs) F-bomb. And every time they show him, he's just frustrated. (laughs) The most frustrated Star Wars character of all time. <laughs> and then uh, he, you know, Rick Oli, I, I thought would be a, a bigger player in the the prequels, uh, you know, because he was, I believe, he was one of the first characters to be revealed from Episode One, an action figure. Yeah, yeah, that was a real bait and switch, wasn't it? Like Rick Oli, we're like Rick Oli, he's probably going to be huge. And it's like, no, he's, just, he's just a guy. Yeah, those uh, those sneak preview. Actually, I think he was a tops trading card that came with an issue of Star Wars Insider that was I think the first reveal of him yeah and then yeah. speaking of reveal here's the first reveal of Tatooine that we're getting in the prequels and the second they mention that and they make the connection to the original trilogy I just remember almost wanting to cheer just the mere mention of Tatooine and then we get a cool little piece of trivia about the planet itself that it's controlled by the Huts. now we knew Jabba the Hutt was a big time gangster on Tatooine but I didn't know that the Huts actually had the influence to be in control of an entire planet even if it's a dirtball like Tatooine and here we go with another reveal a very important reveal Darth Maul played by Ray Park and voiced by Peter Serafinowicz. And uh, talk about a character who, the moment he appears on screen, is such a Star Wars character. Oh, I mean, my God. oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. totally different from anything that we've seen, and yet it, he just belonged in that universe. So, Sam, um, how about your preparation for this character as you portrayed him in The Clone Wars? He, you must have found yourself looking at this film many times to try to pick up some nuances of the character and try to decide what you were going to bring different to the character. Yeah, well, I made a loop, basically. I made a loop tape of, the I think, the two lines he has in this movie. There's, I think it's two lines. Maybe it's three. I'm not sure. I think it's, you know, as you wish, my master, or something like that. Mm. And... um I think it's yes, my master. It's that. So, so, but the the thing that I really listened to was some of the marketing material. There was there were these tone poems that came out 
uh, marketing the movie where um, you hear Liam Neeson say, it will be a hard life, a life without reward, without something else, and then something will happen and you'll be a Jedi. You know, it was like these wonderful, <laughs> these wonderful, to- they were awesome. They were, they, yes. you know, yeah. whoever got, came up with the idea, maybe it was, I, my, I, can't, I, I don't exactly know whose idea they were, or who, who wrote them, but they really got the essence of Star Wars. And, you know, there was one with Shmi Skywalker talking about letting her son go. There was one with Anakin. And then there was one with Darth Maul, which was more dialogue than he had in the movie. And I, I remember, it, what did, how did it go? And fear, fear attracts the fearful, the strong, the weak, the innocent, the corrupt. Fear, fear is my ally. You know, something like that. Yes. Oh, and, that's um, it. You're nailing it. And so, well, I don't know if I'm nailing it. I, You're I'm nailing it. Warmed, guys, I'm not even warmed up. <laughs> so... <laughs> but but that was um that was my intro to what Darth Maul would sound like but then from there my Darth Maul had been eating garbage for 10 years and so I didn't feel the need to go full british I didn't feel the need to keep the voice exactly the same I just used it as a starting point so I made sure for example in the, in the first clone wars episode He's going crazy and he's, you know, babbling and, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. He's got this, the weird garbage legs made of the force and made of garbage, the spider legs. And he's ma- saying all this mad stuff. And then I just wanted to make sure that I wanted to give the audience just a moment of like, don't worry, he's, he's coming back. He's not going to be this mad guy the whole time. So I, so I made sure to say one line like Darth Maul would have, which is revenge. I must have revenge, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh. Mm. I was I was trying to tap the audience on the shoulder and say like look he's still in there and we're going to get that <laughs> character eventually but not yet and right. you know and and even the character we got was a new version you know a different more ragged angry a little bit you know frayed ends version of of what Peter Peter Serafinos was doing and Ray Park but you know I gotta say Ray Park like I so. Much like you, Jimmy, I'm in the Chicagoland area. It's 1999, and uh, and Phantom Menace is playing at the Old Orchard Theater. And I and I was there at the midnight screening, so I'd seen the movie, but then I also had tickets for the opening night, yes. right, which is the next night. Right. And at the opening night, there was this guy who was there signing autographs, this guy named Ray Park, who, since I'd seen the movie and my friends had seen it, we knew who he was. We knew he was Darth Maul. No one else did. So people were not paying attention to Ray. And me and my friends were like, dude, that's Darth Maul. <laughs> we were freaking out. And so I, I remember going up to Ray and uh, shaking his hand. And he was just such a sweetheart. And, and we talked to him a little bit. And he was like, oh, you, know, you enjoyed the performance. And thank you so much for uh, telling me that. And, I, and we were just like, dude, you, you're, you're the guy. <laughs> really, it was really a moment for all of us. It was really fun to meet him. And. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that, you know, I don't know, like, what it, what was it, like, ten years later, twelve years later, I'd be voicing him, <laughs> voicing his character. <laughs> Amazing. Right. So That's that awesome. was a weird little coincidence. Yes, yeah, great story. Yeah. Great story. And now we're here. We are. We're on Tatooine, and this is where I really feel like now we're definitely back in the the good old star wars universe you know there was and not that there was anything wrong with the universe that we'd seen up to this point but we're home now we're on tatooine we're home 
Well, isn't that interesting that Tatooine really does feel like home in Star Wars? Whenever you're on Tatooine, you feel a certain um, warmth and familiarity. Uh, and I think it's because we spent so much time with Luke before, you know, it, it's like we were saying in the A New Hope commentary, like 45 minutes of the beginning of that movie are largely actionless. And you're just hanging out on Tatooine with this kid who lives there. So you feel like you were living there, too. So when you go back to Tatooine, you're like, oh, we're home. We're back. We're, you know, we're in familiar territory and we're among friends, even though it's a, you know, a dangerous place. It, you know, <laughs> and, but it's certainly interesting and awesome to be back. You know, when you think about uh, Anakin being as young as he is, you really marvel at just how insistent Church was of making that work because there are a lot of hurdles to it. Um, the whole, you know, chronology of how old, you know, Obi-Wan is by the time we see him in episode four. And then this kind of romance that sort of semi-blossoms here. He really went to great lengths <laughs> to keep Anakin young in this film and i feel like it was not about merchandise it wasn't about appealing to kids he really felt very strongly that he needed to show this character go from right. a little cherub all the way to the big well, guy in black it's pretty clear and i think documented that anakin originally was conceived to be i think at least 18 mm-hmm. you know i may be talking out of school here but i i think there's evidence to this um, in fact, I think in, in New Hope, there's evidence to this, that that Red Leader says to Luke, I met your father when he was a small boy. And if you have half his talent, then you'll do all right. And they cut the part where he says, I met him when I was a small boy. Because Red Leader, right. Anakin being a kid, he'd be around the same age as Red Leader, rather than Red Leader being a kid and Anakin being older. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of evidence that that suggests that Anakin was like a, a young man when we meet him uh, in, in an earlier iteration of the story. And I think that the answer to why it was changed is that George is a human being who makes stories. And when you watch the documentary, the beginning from the DVD set, uh, you see him followed around by a little blonde kid, you know, a tiny little kid, Jet Lucas. Mm-hmm. So he, I mm-hmm. think he took one look at Jet and goes, well, wow, that's interesting to me right now. Yeah, this is where right. my head's at. Yeah. You know, is that how how traumatizing would it be for a little boy to have to leave home and, and uh, you know, and so so it's it's interesting. These stories, you know, and some people might say, oh, well, then, you know, you should. Why do things change? It's like, well, the, the, the fact of the matter is they always change. But when it comes to storytelling, it's an iterative process and it and some elements stay the same and some elements you rework and you rethink and you uh, and you move on from. So. Well, Star Wars has always been about uh, essentially moving on, moving away from home. And so you had Luke who left because, well, he he sort of lost everything. And then you have – but he was ready. You know, I think that the the idea for Luke was he was ready to move on. His uncle wasn't ready to let go of him uh, for what – you know, for obvious reasons. But in Anakin's case, it was premature. It was mm-hmm. it just it was unnatural, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's obviously the beginning of his downfall. Uh, I just always felt that the threads were not completely tied up as far as that whole 
plot goes. And you know, we'll we'll see later where he talks about these visions that he has, and he's coming to free slaves. And I think a lot of us, when we saw the film, thought, "Oh, okay, they're setting up something big to happen in a subsequent movie." And they might have, you know, that might have been the thought, and then it may have changed. I mean, that's just how right. these things go. Um, right. um, yeah, and I've I've been in those conferences where these things change, or you know, you think you're setting something up, something up, and then you have to go in another direction for various reasons. But uh, by the way, I just want to point out, uh, Sepulba, what a what a cool character, <laughs> you know. He's what an interesting way to present sort of a 1950s greaser bad guy. Yeah, right. You know, like because that's that's the vibe I get off him. But he sure as hell doesn't look like that. I mean, he's you know they didn't get Paul Lamat. To come Man, in. I was going to say he's Danny Zuko, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. They, something uh, out of Blackboard Jungle. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that that this strange design tends to embody. I mean, I, I just feel like I know exactly who that guy is. Yeah. You know, especially later when he's getting massaged by the chicks, and it's just like, oh, I get <laughs> who this guy is. He's you know he's a player, man. He's right. He's and uh, he's just he an archety- with his hands. He's that archety- yes. archetypical villain that that you want to root against the second you meet him because a he's a bully and he's a winner and he's a winner and three he's like privileged you can just tell he you know with the masseuses and you know he's dining al fresco when we first meet him and everything it's just there's something about (laughs) zabulba you instantly want to hate he's almost like the guy from the karate kid that yes yes (laughs) he's he's like that but the star wars version he's totally johnny (laughs) he's totally him (laughs) Absolutely. And here we have Shmi Skywalker, who um, is played very warmly by Pernilla August, uh, who yes. was also in, she was also in the Clone Wars. That's right. Uh, playing Shmi. In the Mortis trilogy. In the Mortis trilogy. Um, and uh, I love this interior. It's, it's still indicative of the stuff that we've seen, but it's very new. And, uh, and here we get our introduction to C-3PO. And, you know, for people who say... Oh, how could this kid build a droid? Um, I never had a problem with that. And I'll tell you why. I, I build computers. I've built computers. I, I do it, right? And when, you, when someone who doesn't really know what that means hears that, they hear. They think, "Oh, so you forged the chips and you, <laughs> right, right? Yeah, you did it all. You right. programmed the operating system from scratch, and you mm. took, you found the silicon wafers, and you made the circuit boards. <laughs> is what you did. And it's like, no, 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 I didn't. I took the parts and I put them together, man. Like, oh, I built this right. car. Well, I took the parts and I put them together. You know, it's C three PO is a protocol droid, and Anakin gathered bits of protocol droids and built a protocol droid." You know, that's what he did. And, and he works at a junk shop. He of works at a junk shop. There's yeah. droid parts laying around and he knew and he had a pattern to follow because clearly this is a you know, like they make the point in the beginning of the movie that the three PO protocol type is a standard type of droid. So yes. you know, it's in the same way that when I build computers, I'm I'm following a very standard pattern. Ever I built about f- four of them, you know, in my in my life, and it's the same thing every time you know i'm following i I didn't i'm not you know i'm not like this time i'm going to use the flux capacitor it's like no it's it's oh here's the processor here's the hard drive here's the this here's the that and you know you have to have some technical skill to do that but and some understanding oh and he this is okay we need to just pay some heed to this really very frightening scene yes the only time in the film you actually see 
Oh, the emperor, or, I'm sorry, Darth Sidious in flesh and blood. I, he's yeah. only presented as a hologram except for this single scene. Yeah. Oh, goodness. And then we have Peter Serafinowicz. At last will I have revenge. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I would like to point out that his voice is indeed deeper than mine. That son of a bitch. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Just, just, just more, more oh! cigarettes, Sam. That's all you need. More cigarettes. Well, that's the thing. You know, that's where I really got screwed over. I never smoked. And I, I swear, I've thought about it. I'm like, you know, what if I just smoke for like two years? Get, get the deep voice and then I'm out. <laughs> uh, you're never out. Yeah, once uh, in, you're never out. Yes. Um, <laughs> And then you have uh, this is this this pointer scene. I I felt you know when I was in the theater, I felt like we needed it. Like we needed a scene where we're like, let's just review what's happened so far because it's been you know pretty pretty eventful. Let's slow yes. down. And just you know, I was this scene helped me relieve relieved a lot of anxiety in terms of what was happening. Um, and then it's the introduction of the idea of a pod race and all these things. I'm just blown away by how gorgeous this Blu-ray is. I mean, it just... <laughs> this movie, I, you know, arguably this is the, the most beautiful prequel film. Oh, by far. By far. It is. It, it, to me, it just feels so classically cinema. It feels like Lawrence of Arabia. It feels just so damn big and epic. Mm-hmm. It really does. You know, it's... Uh, we talked about on The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the painted feel of the images and this movie still has a certain level of that and i don't know that for example attack of the clones does but this movie does have it and i think it's possibly because it was shot on film well i mean not possibly it has to be there's there's a great depth to the image there's Mm -hmm. um wonderful color depth there's a hell of a lot of detail but not so much that it feels too literal i mean you're you're still living in this fantasy world and your your mind is still given opportunity to interpret things. I mean, it's just a it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And you know, and I want to point out that this movie did not win the Academy Award for Special Effects, which is just a travesty. What did you know, go to Matrix? Ma- Matrix? The Matrix yeah. did, and it was because of that whole like camera thing where they right. swoop around someone. And by the way, that's cool. That's really cool. But Matrix was heavily graded. Everything was very sort of black and white. So, you know, and that helps you hide. Everything was dark also. Dark and black and white helps you hide a lot of special effects work. And then also, you know, then the the camera thing is really cool. This movie is in broad daylight the whole time you see everything and it's convincing. So it's like it's, you know, I I can't imagine what these ILM guys must have felt when the Matrix won. I mean, they must like, wow, okay, so... There is just no discernment. <laughs> and furthermore, the other thing about this movie is there's so many special effects that are not calling attention to themselves, which is the other exactly. part of it. It's like, it's like we're creating these environments that are completely unreal that no one else could pull off at this time. You know, at this time, this was an impossible task. And, and yet it was overlooked, um, which was a you know, major, major travesty. And then this movie... You know, everyone wanted the Phantom Menace to have the same cultural impact Star Wars had, which, by the way, is impossible. Star Wars had already happened. So how do you remake right. the culture in Star Wars' image when it's already taken place? You right. Know, when it's already made its impact on storytelling and, and pop culture. So, but what it did do 
was revolutionized the way that that films would be made from now on with you know with uh you know their post production techniques and their effects and all these things i mean if without phantom menace there is no battle of helms deep for example exactly you know? yeah and you're not kidding and mm-hmm. I, I believe that you know this is the first film we're really seeing photo realistic characters interacting with actual actors and actresses and and in such a major role i mean there was there were attempts made in the past but but this is the real deal here i mean we're seeing major characters being represented and they're animated and i was just blown away by that technical achievement back in 1999 to see that well, there was a lot of how do they do that nowadays it's it's all understood we've all seen the behind the scenes stuff where the guys walking around wearing a, a cat suit and ping pong balls but <laughs> yeah but, but this was new you know and Watto for example what a yeah. great character I love Watto in fact it, it's only occurring to me now that it would have been fun if Watto got picked up by the crew and became one of these main characters because he's such a bastard he's such a fun (laughs) jerk and uh i don't know how you do that i don't know how you take this slave owning jerk and uh turn him into one of our heroes but he's so much fun to have around i i I was always struck for some reason when i when i think about Watto, i think about just how uh uh detailed and um that the creators needed to be. I, I remember there was a conversation about that his belly was full of uh, a gas like helium, and and, and just the lengths that they go to explain how and why these these creatures look and are able to look and function the way they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the backstory. Oh, and and oh, here we see the first Star Trek or the Star Wars communicator. That's right. Um, <laughs> the Enterprise is in orbit, but these children. <laughs> This these slave quarters, by the way, I um, you get a you don't really see them that much in this scene, but you see them when they were going into Anakin's house. As I understand it, these were things that looked just like this were scouted out during the original A New Hope. They just weren't there; they had no use for them. But they were they had photographs of of places that looked like these slave quarters um, from way back in seventy seven, if I'm not hmm. mistaken. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's this thing where they never really uh, let an idea go when it comes to these movies. It's like this encyclopedia of, you know, this grab bag of ideas that they can pull out whenever they need to. It seems like there's some sort of chemistry going on here between Qui-Gon and Shmi. That always made me fill in the blanks a little bit as to what happened the night before, after dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think he looks a little shameful here, a little guilty? Well, uh, well, you know, he stuck around at least. Well, there's that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when, out of your son. Um, I, any, anything to not talk about us. <laughs> Let's not go there. Oh, hold on a second, Jimmy. I know. I know Here what you're going to say. Here comes Kitster. Here That's, he is. <laughs> that's right. Making his... There are Star Wars characters, and then there are Star Wars characters, and uh, Kitster is the latter, I believe. <laughs> There he is. That's that's Katie, isn't it? Katie Lucas. No kidding. That is, yeah. Yeah, there she is. Katie Lucas, (laughs) who um, who has. And that's Jake Lloyd's sister. The the other one is it really? That's yeah, I think so. Yeah, Katie. uh, Katie wrote some of the Darth Maul episodes years later. Sure, Uh, incredible. You know, uh, it's 
it's interesting. I, I, I don't think Katie would mind me telling this story. Um, that she was always into some real edgy stuff when she was growing up and, and George, you know, is the star Wars guy. So he likes, you know, if you can watch a movie with a happy ending, he doesn't mind that. But Katie had a real <laughs> hard edge to her, you know, kind of a rock and roll edge. And, uh, and they never quite saw eye to eye. So it, it occurred to me, like when she would come to the screening of the Darth Maul stuff and how dark those episodes are. I mean, they're ridiculously dark. And, she, and then the Night Sister stuff. And she, I remember her saying to me after the screening going, I was just looking at the screen and that's me. That's, 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 I, that was in my head. I, and now they've, they've made it literal. And oh my God, she was so excited about that. But I think, I think it must have also been exciting for both of them to be like, they saw eye to eye. <laughs> that, mm. that she was telling a Star Wars story that fit within George's universe. Uh-huh. But... You know, they needed sort of her dark edge, her rock and roll sort of edgy thing in Star Wars. And yeah. I, I look, I never actually talked to her about that, but that was something that I, I thought was pretty clear. I was like, oh, this is really kind of an interesting father and daughter bonding thing. These these mall episodes. So yeah, that the that the the Star Wars universe as a backdrop kind of uh, brought those two visions, those ideas together well because yeah uh, she was she was incredibly useful <laughs> you know like you're, right you needed that you needed that edge if you were going to really go and tell the dark side stories you had to go there and uh and you know it's it's everything it's it's why we all are into star wars that that basically you can have characters like jar jar and the ewoks on one end and then you can have the Emperor and Darth Vader and Darth Maul on the other and everything in between. And you can have silly moments and you can have dead serious moments. And you can it's just there's you can be in fantastical sort of Lord of the Rings environments, or you can be in these very lived in slum environments or city environments, or you know, like it's it, it's like when you watch the Clone Wars, you realize you can do any kind of genre of filmmaking within the framework of star Wars because it's so expansive. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's an enormous uh, canvas really uh, to paint on. And, and, you know, Sam, you keep mentioning various characters and how they just feel like star Wars immediately. Uh, even though Liam Neeson was a well-established actor going into uh, the Phantom Menace, uh, Liam Neeson as an actor just disappears to me. And this Qui-Gon character just takes over. I, he just it feels so familiar immediately. Well, and, and we, we learn, or perhaps we've just learned with the release of the Netflix episodes, more about what his true role in the whole saga was. Mm. And returning to the, to the star Wars universe via the clone wars and delivering such a great performance in those Yoda episodes. Um, so yeah, that's wonderful stuff. And here we have, I, I loved the, tension setting up this whole thing of as we're having this fun setup for what will be this exciting race we have you know death stalking them. <laughs> yeah you know the, the the devil has come to Tatooine and now he is uh he's looking for them and then you get back to normal life you know now those Sith with probes um, they start to show up uh, at the, at the race. Am I am I right? Yes. Just post race, you see, we will see them, but not to be confused them. with the cameras that are following them around. Right, right, right. And I always found that confu- a little bit confusing. 
Because there are cameras. Those those are ah. black. Cameras are okay. Color. And then you have Saboba hanging out with two very beautiful look. I think they they may even be twins, and he's clearly <laughs> tapping both of them. Absolutely, <laughs> he should be. There right now, actually. I mean, my God. He's, oh, my God. Look at that. That's filthy. You know, he walks with his hands. Imagine what else he could do with oh, them. Oh, geez. Look at that. <laughs> That's just oh, disgusting. He kind of, you know, she smiles. Well, you know, you know he's, let, let's not for you know, he's also, you were mentioning all the different things that he is. He's also snidely whiplash. I mean, he's got that, uh, the, he twirls the mustache. Yeah. He's, 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 yes, he ties he's the girl down to the railroad. He sure does. Tracks. I mean, yeah, it gets that, that literal. That is true. It that does so get true. that literal. Yeah. But hey, and back it, to those probe droids. So um, he obviously dispatched them to track down Queen Amidala, who he knows is on this planet somewhere. Yeah. Any one of them. We also know who the Jedi that they're looking for, too. So they can, you know, if they can visually identify Qui Gon Jinn or Queen Amidala or Obi Wan Kenobi. They're in, they're in luck. Right. Um, so it's just scanning people. It's just going around and looking. Um, and probably scanning for other things too, like Jedi communication frequencies. And I'm just geeking out here. I don't know. I'm making it up. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And then this is, this is I, I love how you know, the, the stakes um, scene by scene get higher and higher. And now he is, now Anakin, unbeknownst to him, is racing for his freedom. No pressure, kid. Right, right, right. You know, it's um, he doesn't know that at this point, but Liam Neeson has now potentially freed him if Anakin can pull this race off, and Liam Neeson just has this notion that maybe that could happen. Now here we see Kitster is definitely in the inner circle. He shows up, <laughs> you know, riding with Pat, with Shmi, and yeah. uh, you know, alongside Anakin and Padme. So uh, he's definitely a major player here in the Star Wars saga. Yeah, he's really making it happen. He's yeah. re- he really is making it happen. And now he's introduced the very popular catchphrase. Well, it's so wizard, you know. It's- he's wingmanning Anakin here. He's being Anakin's wingman with the girl. He's exactly. like, yeah, he's cool. Don't worry about don't worry about things. You should go on a date with him. Everyone thinks he's popular. <laughs> right, right. You know, and kids- then you... And I liked this. This was There's something very Star Wars about just this continuous shot. You keep... Watch how the movie is shot. It's... The guy talking to himself there. Watch how the movie is shot. It's it's you know it's very it's shot like an old school Hollywood film. And uh, right here we have Ben Hur. This is Ben Hur. Right, right. This is the chariot race in Ben Hur. In fact, the pods are chariots. That the horses are rocket engines attached via these lines to the uh, to the chariot carts or the you know it's. I I love that. I love the fact that in these Star Wars movies, it's just these constant call-outs to film lore. Being uh, as someone who is a real aficionado of the the sound design of films, and obviously someone who highly looks up to Ben Burtt and all the work he's done on the Star Wars films, mm-hmm. I uh, was lucky enough to have the opportunity to say to him that I believe that as far as an achievement in film, the sound design for the pod race is, is up there with the, the helicopters in apocalypse now and the opening battle on the beach from saving private Ryan. Those are my top three all time greatest achievements in sound design and mix and everything that goes into creating that audio atmosphere for a major sequence of film. It's it's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's 
Ben Bird outdid himself in these films. The lightsabers have a whole new character that they never had yet. They don't, they're not so different that you even consciously notice it. You just, they're just more exciting. They're, you know, there's something cooler about them. They used to be, and now they're, you know, and, and, uh, Thank you. That was my sound design. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> but the pod, the pods themselves are just so. They're they're visually interesting, surely. Um, but my God, you're right. They sound so. Uh, second fart joke here, by the way, guys. If we're counting. Uh, <laughs> second. Well, the first we one have... is uh, the first one is is kind of uh, open to interpretation. I, I never. Oh, considered... that's clearly what it is. Come on. What with the excuse me? Yeah, I, yeah, I never thought out, of yeah, that. Sure. I she never steps thought out of that. Of the cloud of, of gas and says, "Oh, <laughs> excuse me." I, I never interpreted that to be a fart joke, but uh, for, I will forever. I will now. And then, yeah, okay, here, here, here we go. Yeah. Yep. Yes, snap that twirling the mustache. Yeah, I know. I love that. That's great. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't yeah. occur to me until you just said that that he was twirling his mustache. But he's, you're right. He totally is. <laughs> and. uh and then here's Qui-Gon saying, well, I'm going to put you in here and uh, the odds are you're not coming back. But that's all right. <laughs> you have to be very careful. Use, I'll tell you what. Use the force and I'm sure, oh, you're screwed. Okay, all right. What did I do? <laughs> Child abuse. Your mother's going to sue me. She's not going to kill me. She's going to sue me. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> oh, man. And then Jabba Duhat, which... You know, you see this guy and they, they got the design right. He looks like the Return of the Jedi Jabba. There's Matt Wood playing uh, as Fortuna. Did Fortuna, which How we much? didn't know. That guy worked with Jabba for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Really. His major domo. Yeah. Yeah. You know how you guarantee job security working for Jabba? Just don't stand over the trap door. That's don't all you got to remember. Do that's not right. say that's why you, you always see Bibby standing up there on the Deus with Jabba because he yeah, knows right. he knows he's going to be walking around. He gets the, it. Just stand next to Jabba it. and you're going to be fine. Job security. By the way, the, uh, this whole stadium behind them, it's it's a model. Yeah. It's yeah. a model with, uh, I believe, Q tips, colored Q tips inside. Colored it. So, you know, oh, it's all digital. It's like, no. Bro, it's it's a model. It's catching real light. And it's reflecting that light into your <laughs> face, into your face. Um, the first time I learned of that, I was at a uh, opening night for the museum exhibit Star Wars: The Magic and the Myth, and it was at the Field Museum. And there was a presentation by Lorne Peterson, the top legendary model maker from the original trilogy and the prequels, big-time ILM guy. And uh, he was actually handing out Q-tips that they used for the model. He was no giving way. them away. Yeah, That's, that's great. What I didn't get guy. one, though. Hell of a guy. Hell of a guy. Give me a Q-tip. Screw you, pal. What are you? <laughs> Jeez. Come on, man. Um, you know... George extended the whole build up to the pod race in the later versions of this film. And I think it's, Oh, there we go. Where Warwick Davis, Willow. <laughs> there he is. And, and wicked. And by the way, a hell of a guy. Warwick Davis is so cool. I got a chance to get to know him a little bit and his family, um, at a convention or I think it was star Wars weekends. So that was a real thrill for me. He was such a charming, cool guy. 
Um, and there's Warwick Davis again. And there's Warwick Davis again. He's he's in the Rodian suit. He's in the green guy suit. Oh, true. That's right. Walled. And he's right there. So you know that guy's all over Star Wars, man. He has a he has a great story about yeah. the, shooting that particular scene. And Jim, I don't know if you remember hearing about it, but uh, about him eating those uh, potato chips or something right. that they were, and he got sick and actually fell asleep. Oh, as they were, and George had to come over and wake him up. Oh, it's a it's a really good story. That's awesome. Now this is, I mean, now now we are in CG land. But my God, does it look good? Oh, fantastic! I, and <laughs> they capture the speed so well. It it this really is, puts you in the event. Whoa! Now there, what's cool is he saves the the first person view for when Anakin gets into the race. That you don't really know how dangerous this is until Anakin gets in there and you see how fast they're going. I mean, this is, I love this whole sequence. This is a very well-constructed, well-shot, well-thought-out um, sequence. It's incredible. Reminds me a little bit, of uh, too, uh, of the speeder bike chase. Uh, and how it, certainly. It had that impact yeah. on but it does and Return of the Jedi. It does top the speeder bike chase. Just oh, just a bit. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. Now, but, you know, but what's great about the speeder bike chase and why the, spe- why the speeder bike chase still works is that it's, the speeder bike chase is in an environment that we've all been in. So we've all been in a forest. So we imagine what it's like to go 100 miles in a forest, and the danger is very real to us. This is an, you know, uh, an environment we've never really driven a car in. We don't really understand this environment, right. but it's so well done that we understand the danger. We understand the ridiculous, over-the-top danger that's been put in here. I mean, you know, it's, and that's the... There's so much humor in this, the sand people trying to snipe, and this <laughs> poor bastard, Ben Quaternaros. Oh, my God. I'm Poor guy. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> but this is, um, you know, it, the, the pod race and the speeder bike chase can still exist side by side in the same movies without one really topping the other because one is very real world and one is fantastical, and they're both great in their own way. Um, mm. And again, these, these comedic beats just make it for me because there's it's so tense and exhausting so it's nice to let off some steam and laugh at the three stooges here <laughs> um which it is it's total it's the three stooges and right? then Jabba's just bored <laughs> <laughs> now, from, I always love that from what I understand that shot was just presented to George as kind of a joke from ILM and they were shocked that he actually included it in the film because they were just messing around with the models and the assets and decided to do that just for laughs that's a hmm. great idea um, and then this guy what the just so you know what's so great about it is there's a real pedestrian element to this this is just something that happens this whole pod race thing and and for this is entertainment but just like anything in star wars it's ridiculously dangerous everything right. in star wars is ridiculously dangerous if you're gonna you know if there's a disneyland in star wars you can be killed there easy <laughs> there's no railings or something i don't know right, you know, right. Everything in star wars is over the top <laughs> and then this is you know I, I liked these beats. That they, these are new beats that were added in that right. were not in the theatrical cut. Yeah. What I like about him is that Anakin is now doing with the pod, like this flip. He's doing everything that he will be doing as a Jedi years later. Mm. He's, he's, he needs a machine to help them do them, to help him do them. But the choreography is the same type of stuff that Jedi do. He's just a little boy in a machine, and he needs the machine's help to do it, which I just I think is great. And, and yeah, some, I never never thought of it that way. That's very cool. 
poor guy. Oh, look at that. Not cool. <laughs> I, I like Undisc. the noise he makes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I mean, just everything about this, uh, you know, visually, audio, it, it's it's it, all there. It, like, now, Shmi is wincing. If I'm her, I have, I'm losing my, my shit right now. I'm crying. I'm freaking out. I'm hitting Qui-Gon. I'm like, right. <laughs> what did you do to my boy? He's going to die. Well, now, she oh, has man. been through this before. She does hate when he participates in those awful races, but she's seen it before. This is not new yeah, to she, her. Look, look there's a, this is a big child abuse movie right here. Huge. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. How do you put a little boy through this? I like they're uh, watching the race on iPads, too. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, they have the race app. Yeah. <laughs> the pod race app. And the sand people are still causing trouble. Have you guys now ever played the... You know, uh, one of the reasons why you have to watch episode four first is that sand people here are a joke. Sand people uh, in episode four are terrifying. Right. So they need to be terrifying before they're a joke, you know? Right. Well, and then, of course, they kill Shmi Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, okay. In the next no, movie. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe you can make them terrifying and then a joke <laughs> and then terrifying. I don't know, because they were pretty bad in that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you never actually see them do it, but you know but that they've... Pretty, yeah, she's pretty... Yeah, she's pretty beat up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys ever played the video game version of this, the one you sit down oh, yes. in? and Yeah, that's a, it's a fantastic video game and really captures this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's... Uh, and then they take you to different tracks and everything, but I really only like the uh, Tatooine level. By the way, am I the only one that gets like a uh, Hanna Barbera wacky races uh, vibe from this whole uh, this whole thing? You guys remember that cartoon? I know not the, of what you speak. Yeah, the wacky races. It was with uh, yeah, it was like Dirk, all the Hanna Barbera characters were Dirk were, Dastardly uh, and Muttley and all of right, them. Scooby Doo and Shaggy and uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, they were all. It was basically a all the. Kind of barbaric characters. Maybe a little bit with just race. The, the cast of characters and the cheating that goes on. It, that's what I'm talking about. The cheating, exactly. Yeah, the cheating and the crazy characters. And uh, first, look at some Jawas. Yeah. Uttering the iconic Utini. Utini. So, so we, this race is so funny too. I mean, with Jar Jar going, "Did he crash it?" You know, I, I think it's. <laughs> it's just not. It's boy, it's fun. Oh my god! Look at that. Here, here goes. Oh, now he's got problems. Yes. And of course, you know the uh, the helmet with the with the with the goggles uh, kind of reminds you of of Luke, and he puts on the uh, yeah. the helmet in the X wing for the first time, and uh, with yeah. the blast shield, and so there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, mirroring and echoing going on. Yeah. And here he is doing things. I, what I like so much about this sequence is that Anakin has no dialogue. So we get to fill in what he's thinking um, throughout this whole moment. You know, he just has these very tense looks on his face, right. which I think are great. Well, if he's taking Qui-Gon's advice, he's not thinking at all. Right. Well, I, I, think, I think he's having a few thoughts here, like, <laughs> I'm screwed. Yeah, <laughs> I better do something. <laughs> right. 
Like the the long haired hippie guy told me not to be thinking, but geez, <laughs> but I gotta fix my, this. I gotta fix the heat. I gotta, you're right. I gotta do something here. The damn thing is broken. <laughs> the the, the long haired hippie guy, the guy I met yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tommy Chong here. Oh, and by the way, I, those announcers cracked me up. As soon as the announcers showed up and they were two headed, I laughed my ass off in the theater. I thought that was so funny. Food and bead. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and then there were two. Now we got some Indiana Jones style. Hit the other car with your car. Yeah, Kitchener okay. doesn't like what he sees here. No, he doesn't. But he's also oh, thinking yikes. if he doesn't come back, I'm hitting Portman. What he's, thinking. <laughs> he's like, well, look, there's an upside to this. Like I can, you know. Oh, Sam, you always bring a whole different dimension to the I'm I'm just telling you what he's thinking, guys. That's, I'm just telling you what's up. Oh, that's and here's now, his comeuppance. Yes. Loses this incredible machine that he's built. Look at that. I mean, this, the special effects here are just ridiculous. Oh, I mean, we're watching it 15 years later, and it stands look, up to just about anything. And that's the thing. It's all in broad daylight. Yeah. We're looking right at everything that they're doing. There's no hiding. Miss. Oh, and here. And he gets turned down. Go for a high five. Right. And yeah, right. he denies him. Right, right. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, how's that shot make it in? How's that make it in the final cut? Come on. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Someone had to like turn down. Kitster. We all look. We just established that Kitster wants Anakin's woman. So he needs to be disrespected by Wald. The high five. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> And then, oh, poor, poor guys. Java's just, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's me on Sunday watching NASCAR about midway through the race. <laughs> definitely, definitely real world. Yeah. Big celebration. This is a. I do love that he doesn't want to be kissed. By yeah, right, mom. right. That's kind of a sweet moment there. Well, not in front trying of to hit on the chick yeah. Yeah. in front of her. Yeah, right. Yeah. Come on, mom. And if you look, like, you can I'm see Wald in the background. You can see Wald trying to, to wrangle that uh, Eopi, and, and it's actually lifting him off the ground. Uh, we can't rewind. Oh, right I never now, saw that before. All that yeah. detail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's way, blurry. It's out of focus. Speaking of detail, you can see in the background here a couple things, right? Yeah. For one thing, you get the prodroid, the Sith prodroid is right. Where is it? It pops up. Oh, in the background, you see it, the grieving widow of Rats Tyrell who died in the race. Right. And yeah. now you see the Sith probe <laughs> droid looking for Qui-Gon in the back. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in these movies. You know, the, you know, the, the Rats Tyrell's family was there. And I'm not even kidding. That's actually what was back there is that, that his, his wife and children saw that little rat guy explode in the cave. And now they have to deal with that. Exactly. Um, and... Uh, I'm going back. Oh, the, all right, see, I'm there's go the hair. Drugs. The hair is yeah. much more fill in here. Fill in. I, I, I think it's a wig. No. Oh, I think that's his hair. I think it's. I, I think, think he's just, just growing hair? it out. Yeah, it just grew a little bit. You know, hyperspace will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Pulls it out from yeah, the roots, yeah. man. Right. Yeah, and uh, I'm going back. Some unfinished <laughs> business. I've got to. I've got to hit it with Shmi Skywalker. What? <laughs> 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 I'm about to take her son away, so I may as well give her something to remember. Hell, maybe I can replace him. I have no idea. <laughs> Look, 
the stranger things have happened. She's a little bit old. Stranger things have happened. I have to try, Obi Wan. I have to try. <laughs> this is kind of a. It's a little bit of an unceremonious split, but he gets he gets over it fast enough initially. Uh, who who you mean, uh, Anakin? Anakin, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's oh, such- hey, by the way, you're. I'm taking you with me. Oh wow. I'm going to become well, a he does, he does have a, yeah, later on he does have a moment of, oh, wow, this is actually very difficult. Um, how, right. You know, but, but this is also based on a movie where Luke sees essentially his parents killed and then within not, you know, Shakespeare writes a whole play about that event, right? Where Star Wars right. goes, okay, let's, now let's move on and now we're back to the adventure. So that's, that's yeah. sort of the style of... You know, I mean, we, we could have had a Luke Skywalker who was just angst-ridden about having seen Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru burn to death and could have dealt with that through the whole movie, but that wouldn't have been as much fun. <laughs> right. You know, he, he, yeah. He's a guy who then acclimates to his, and, you know, his circumstances and, and reacts appropriately, you know, as opposed to, you know, Hamlet being such a pussy about it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh know. god yes i remember in college when it was all broken down exactly that way yeah. <laughs> hamlet he's a pussy he's a pussy yeah. <laughs> oh my dad <laughs> luke saw the ghost of his dad he didn't freak out come on guy his his mother shmi is very stoic at this moment she uh yeah. well you know he's lives he's a slave right she understands there's a there's a better future for him outside of this terrible environment that she's been you yeah know, she says thank you but the subtext is ah screw you pal uh, oh, there's the there's the gentle hand on the shoulder uh-huh. where's then, his other hand yes <laughs> the gentle hand on her ass <laughs> that's right that's a Jedi trick yeah and 3PO's <laughs> 3PO's like look um I gotta, I gotta let you know, man. I, I was programmed to feel pain, and I ain't got no skin, pal. <laughs> my, my brain is spinning in the. That's my freaking brain is spinning, <laughs> yeah, and everyone <laughs> can see it. Put right. something on me. Can you give me a, a sheet, a blanket? <laughs> well, he does. Yo, know, he gives credit. He does cover him up in a sheet when he's just on the table, and that, that's right. Awake. But he leaves him turned on and splits. Yeah. Well done. Now, here's his moment. So I always uh, am struck by when uh, she asks him, what does your heart tell you? And he, uh, thinking he, I think he's, he senses that that's, this is it. I think that's why he's having such a hard time with this. Well, is it? Yeah, you know, we're going to see you again. What does your heart tell you? Yeah, but you're going to be tortured and then you're going to die shortly thereafter. So you're all right. Right, he says yes. I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so those visions are awfully, I'm sure, very cloudy for him. But he's uh, sensing something is uh, coming to an end here yeah. with his mother. Yeah. So it is heavy stuff. You know, it's it, it, Sam. There's you mentioned real- about how how quick you know things happen and people get over things and. In, in the Star Wars movies, and it's true. But when you stop and think psychologically, what happens yeah, Leia, to this guy? Leia, Leia would be in therapy for years after Alderaan. 
You kidding? <laughs> no, absolutely. After all the runs, you'd be like, yeah, I, I joined the Rebel Alliance and got my entire people killed. Yeah. Like, no, but it's not, well, it's not your fault. He's like, yeah, but it kind of is. Uh-huh. Like, no, it's okay. And then, and then finding out, oh, Vader is my dad. Oh, and he tortured me on the Death Star. And it's just like, oh, you know, these people would be pretty messed up. And then, okay, here we go. Now it's time. Droid's all like, I found them. And he's like, that's cool. <laughs> Get my Harley. Yeah, exactly. But it's like a what Harley, a isn't it? Great looking character, my God. What a good looking guy. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> handsome, handsome, evil man. I love how he tries to bowl Anakin over here. This is cool. He does. Like, whoa, not cool. He'll, this is a guy who will hit a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to, to get a motorcycle. To, just to get to his prey. You're absolutely right. And here, this is interesting that George is so restrained. Because I remember watching this lightsaber fight and being like, I can't really see it. And that's the idea. Yeah. That we're not ready to reveal the lightsaber fights yet. That this is just a brief introduction to the sword fighting thing. But we don't get it yet. It's not time yet. Yeah, this is uh, definitely just a tease. In fact... We know that there was much more of this lightsaber battle that was actually shot, but it was obviously chosen to keep it very uh, low-key. Now, there are Star Wars moments, and then there are Star Wars moments. And for sure, this is something that we all fantasized about, we all wondered about, the very first meeting of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. So just no matter what, this is a momentous. We may not have thought that there would be this kind of an age difference, but tremendous moment in Star Wars history. Yeah, Obi Wan doesn't really care. Yeah, <laughs> no, just, no, no. Oh God, what are we doing? Why do we have a kid with us now? <laughs> that kind of sweetens the moment a little bit, though. I mean, he, he has no idea the uh, the role that this guy is going to play in his life. Yeah, and, and this uh, guy, <laughs> yes. These guys are so lazy, their chairs walk. Yeah. And these bastards. Yeah. Um, well, watch the battle droid push CO Bibble. Give him a little shove great. there, yeah. you know? Just yeah, a little yeah. shove. <laughs> Keep him moving. Yeah, I, that's just a, a, a nice little uh, touch there. They put, they, you know, to, to really make these animated droids feel like they're, they're part of the, the real world, that they were actually on the set. It's those yeah. little touches they put in there that really seal the deal, in my opinion. Yeah. By the way, I was so pleased that by Revenge of the Sith, they reintroduced this whole, what is it, rich, poor snippet or whatever the hell he carved for her. The you know, poor snippet. That's yeah, right. his, his, um, his little arts and crafts project, his macaroni picture. <laughs> right, that he right. Made. <laughs> and, but I love that, that they, they reintroduced it into Revenge of the Sith because I was like, where is it in, in Attack of the Clones? Did we just forget about it? It would have been a great moment where She's snubbing Anakin, saying, no, no, I don't like you, I don't like you. And then he sees that she's wearing it underneath her dress. And it's like, oh, oh, maybe she does. Like, I guess I'm a meaningful person to her. You know, that type of thing. Well, it it obviously shows where the origin of the the connection between these two characters comes from. Because if you just look at it on the surface, you're really not too sure. But by the time of Revenge of the Sith, you realize she... She held on to this thing that he gave her when he was nine, ten years old. So obviously, it had a lot of value to her because it connected her to him. So I mean, even though he's a kid, 
and she's you know a, a teenager in this. There there is that connection. It's much more obvious in the novelization of this film, which I, I recall voraciously reading the night after I saw this movie for the first time. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, wow, I really start to see now where there's a legitimate fondness between Padme and Anakin. It's obvious he likes her. But for her to actually share that sort of connection with him is mm-hmm. awkward to present, for starters, because he is so young. Yeah. But <laughs> on the other side of the coin, when you see how their relationship plays out throughout the, the prequel trilogy, it does make a lot of sense. And it is a great thing that brings it all together when they reveal it in Revenge of the Sith during her funeral sequence. Let's, let's talk about, by the way, this moment, which was really incredible for fans because we'd always heard about Coruscant and they designed it actually for Return of the Jedi, but we never saw it. And so now we're, we're seeing it. I mean, I guess we saw uh, in the special edition of Jedi, we saw a piece of it, but now we're seeing it like we've never seen it before. And the seat of galactic government and what would later become the seat of power for the empire. I don't know. It's just amazing, amazing artistic, uh, achievement. And like I said, these special effects are sitting in the background, creating this metropolis well, and then, of course, the name uh, Coruscant was uh, pulled in yes. from the expanded universe. Yes. Welcome. Oh, uh, yeah, you was... will kneel before Zod. <laughs> I believe in yeah, the, uh, the expanded universe. Absolutely. In the rough draft of uh, Return of the Jedi, it was known as Hadabaddon. Or Hadabaddon or Had something. Abaddon. Okay. I always just pronounce it Hadabaddon. But, um, it, uh, yeah, and, and it became known as the Imperial Center and then by the time of Heir to the Empire, it was dubbed Coruscant. Or as I used to say when I read Heir to the Emperor, Empire, Coruscant. Yeah, exactly. Or Coruscant. And I've actually heard guys doing audiobooks and they say the Coruscant. Yeah. yeah. Was that one of the goblins from Harry Potter there driving? There he is. Up? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a You're going to Gringotts for a little bit. And now, by the way, Jar Jar just called her hot. He's basically stating his intention. He's like, you can take Padme. I'm banging the queen, <laughs> which is a, we now realize is a love triangle. Like, it's the same chick, sort of, kind of. So, well, you know, it's, isn't it funny that there's this uh, notion of duality here where you have yeah. uh, Palpatine and, and Sidious, and you also have uh, Padme and, and Amidala? Yeah. There's the, yeah, right, exactly. And there was going to be duality with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Did you know about this? That, I'll, you know what, I'll talk about it at the end of the movie. But there was going to be a duality of identity between uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Really? Um, yes. In an earlier draft, there was a whole different idea. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait to tell that story. Remind me when Qui-Gon dies, or around the end, I'll, I'll, <gasps> when he gets stabbed. He what? Spoiler oh, alert. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, don't ever pick up the soundtrack. My God. Oh, like I, end. I, mean, I wanted to put a bullet in my skull. I'm like, I thought this guy was going to be with us. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a real right. shock to, to find out that he, he was going to die. Actual track called and, The Death of Qui-Gon Jinn. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Um, and here we have Ian McDermott reprising a very, a different version of the character, which is, you know, talk about upgrading our perception of a character i mean every one of these movies in mcdermott is winning except for maybe a new hope the emperor wins just about every, well and return of the jedi the emperor wins 
He wins this movie. He wins the next movie. He wins big in the third movie. He loses A New Hope, wins The Empire Strikes Back, and then loses Empire, you know, Jedi. But this guy is, when we see all the things that he's doing, he's just unstoppable. Not to mention that Ian McDermott is such a, an incredible, incredible actor that he paints this incredible, this wonderful um, politician turned villain. Finally, we get and, to see where the Jedi live. Mm-hmm. And listen to what John Williams is doing. He's laying this very mysterious uh, in musical environment for us. That's right. CG Yoda. Thank God. As opposed to the, uh, Jim, what do you call him affectionately? The catcher's mitt with <laughs> eyes, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. That, that puppet was a little, uh, mm, there, it left a lot to be desired. You know, a, a puppet Yoda works in a swamp environment with that sort of lighting, but here in broad daylight, sitting amongst, <laughs> you know. Well, it, you know, it wasn't just that. They got the design wrong. It didn't look they like did, Yoda. They, they did you know, something I think, wrong. They, they tried to make him look younger, but what's the point when you're he's over 900 800, yeah. years old? He's not going to look younger there's, when he's 950. There's no looking <laughs> younger. No. No. You know, he wasn't 16. <laughs> he didn't look He didn't look like uh, Stuart Freeborn anymore. You no, know, that was... And, I'll tell you, they, they seem to put their A team on this digital Yoda because it's it looks good. Yeah, I believe uh, Rob good. Coleman overseeing all of that based on the uh, assets they used to create Yoda in Attack of the Clones. But also upgraded. I think this was their up. They're heading for the upgrade for Revenge of the yeah, Sith. I mean, yeah, he looks better here so. than he did in Clones. Um, yeah, for sure. That's right. In fact, it was I believe. Uh, uh, this this was done as an experiment, as you say, Sam, uh, going into uh, making Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, we're going to go and have a drink. They're about to drink. And they're looking at each other like, they're going to get drunk. Right there. They always do. The way Mace Windu looks right into the camera, essentially. Is, yes. It's just what here, a great moment. This was a pickup shot. You can see Anakin looks a lot older in this uh scene and he does yeah absolutely all there yeah he's like is, is he, i'm it, growing before your eyes baby yeah <laughs> uh, some of the baby fat's gone from his cheeks might be a Jake little Lloyd, taller by the way i've seen some interviews with him and he just seems like a really cool guy jake was Smart living out guy. here in chicago for a while sammy was going to columbia college i think oh, he's that, columbia cool yeah he and his family are from uh indiana <laughs> i think they still now, live there now, there's one thing missing from this Galactic Senate scene. Now, first of all, I loved this whole, like, this is what the Galactic government looked like. You needed an, a structure of this scale just to represent all the systems in the Republic. But what they're missing is, like, in the background when, like, these people are flying around presenting their cases, they're missing little characters every now and then just vomiting over the side. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like a senator's like, I'd like to suck at the... You know? Because they're like, this is... I am afraid of heights, you know? Yeah, yeah. can you imagine your first day on the job? They, they, and you're like, oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Pass out the Dramamine. Dramamine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Everyone's having Dramamine before every Senate. Oh, my God. E.T. just puked on me from four levels up. <laughs> That's right. What the hell? Imagine what that hammerhead puke smells like. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> But yeah, they, I mean, it's just incredible how they really, you know, fleshed out all these different little pods and that you can see in the background, there's all these individual aliens in there and, uh, 
It's all. It's I just a very was... living environment for something so how does, animated. How do they? How do they do that? Right? Like, how does George go up a meeting? Like, all right, there's going to be. Uh, we're going to have like thousands of pods, and I just need like different aliens. All right, go. I'm like what? <laughs> Can we use the Q-tips? No, no, the Q-tips aren't going to work. They can't, we can't use Q-tips. That's like one guy's like, George, you. we don't have time to do that. Oh, great, you're fired. Anyway, uh, John Noel, uh, how are we going to do this? You know, just like ruthless. George was ruthlessly, I mean, what he drove these guys to do is just incredible. And again, like total revolution here in terms of what movies could do after this movie versus before. It's just not the same world. You know, it really did have its impact. It's just not in the way that people expected. People, people expected it would have the same psychological impact, and it's just that's not possible. You know, no, but, no, and, totally, and totally it also, different times. Uh, and it also can't reproduce. You know what you experienced when you were a four-year-old. You know, it's just not the same thing. But um, right. But I, uh, you know, it it boy, this movie surely fits in with the DNA of. Star Wars and how it works, the thematic elements, the uh, this you know whole notion of oh, there's the ET aliens, <laughs> the the notion of of a young youth being a special thing and and uh, and instilling belief in that kid to go out and do great things and and uh, mentorship and how important that is and the whole light versus dark issue. It's all it's all there. All the bones are in place, and I really very much hope that they observe these same themes in the next movies. There's a very important scene here where you start to realize uh, where Qui-Gon fits uh, in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of uh, as the, the Jedi Council. Yeah. And, uh, as the sun sets on the Republic. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, what his right. role is as, as day is turning into night for the galaxy, you know? That you, you get this, like you were you know, alluding to, I get the feeling that had that the significance of the duel of the fates later on in this movie is that the biggest crime is that Qui-Gon dies. If he had lived, Anakin might have turned out differently. Uh. He, would have had, he would have had a lot more guidance and guidance that knew what the problems were, you know, what the pitfalls were. Whereas he, because he found him, he understood what this kid was. None of these people knew exactly how to handle him. You know, I find it very interesting, too, uh, how, how much the, the sequences reveal about Obi-Wan, specifically what we were just watching there up on the balcony, where he's saying, don't defy the council, not again. And he, he's a traditionalist. Obi-Wan is satisfied with the status quo, whereas Qui-Gon is looking ahead and seeing a future that's very rocky. And it, I think it's incredible to see that sort of character development work for Obi-Wan, because you see him being young and impressionable, but yet still someone who's very grounded in the way things have always been. Yet he grows into this character that becomes pivotal in the biggest, most mind-blowing transformation of what they assume to be normal you know with it with the the empire the empire coming in and overthrowing everything obi-wan being the only one to survive and the only one being able to carry on the jedi ways until luke is ready it's it's very incredible to see that he is so grounded in tradition at this point Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. you think he'd be the first one to get his head cut off with the new regime but yet he manages to survive it's in the 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 implication and, and uh, where that goes is 
Oh, well, hold on. I'm going to pause that for a second because this is the the queen is now discovering that her Senate representation has manipulated her somewhat mm-hmm. into pushing this thing. And she realizes, oh, he wants the presidency. But she does not believe he's an evil man yet. You know, she she believes, OK, look, he's working for our best interests. He may have gone a little too far. He His ambition seeped into what is a problem that needs to be solved. But it's still not going to be fast enough. So she says, no, I'm going to go. And Palpatine, in the meantime, is just rolling with the punches. The first, you know, he wants her to stay so that this suffering will happen on the planet. All these people will get killed and it will it will ensure his presidency. And then he will, he will be the one who is able to solve it. If she goes, well, there's a slight chance that she could throw a monkey wrench into that. But then he changes the plan. He goes, well, no, now just make sure that the queen dies. That'll, that'll create even more outrage. Um, Palpatine is constantly shifting his plans throughout these movies. They never make it explicit, but you can, you can see, you know, because he goes from this look. Just a slight little smile yeah, there, doesn't this, it? Well, this moment, and then he goes to wipe them out, all of them. So he keeps shifting his plan. Yeah. Um, yes. Now, anyway, uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing, yeah. You know, it's interesting because there, there's a real theme throughout these movies that the establishment with the Jedi is flawed. Uh, it doesn't, it's, it's slowly, you know, it's become rigid and it's become mm. susceptible to the influence of the dark side, not necessarily within the ranks of the Jedi, but influencing how effective they can be, how much of their job they can do. Right. And they're, they're kind of losing their way a little bit. And uh, Qui-Gon is the one guy who gets it, who understands. He's like, no, we have to be like those Ronin samurai old west sheriff guys who are just doing the right thing you know but you get the you get the council side of it because they're like yeah but sometimes when you do that one of us turns to the dark side and raises an army and you know wreaks havoc or bad things happen so they have all these rigid rules they have not discovered the balance yet and they don't discover it really until luke skywalker i'm always uh, surprised as i watch this the uh the, sh- the the sharp looks that Anakin is throwing towards Mace Windu, oh yes, uh, almost yes. as if, almost, almost as if George knew that, that they would meet again one day. Yeah. Actually, in the there's a constant animosity between the two. If you really start to dig yes, deep into right, the Jim, character right. and uh, under, you know, I mean, obviously Mace wants nothing to do with Anakin. He thinks that it's just it's a very sticky situation to bring him in because he's already been corrupted by a life with attachment yeah. and, 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 and his power in the force confuses Mace quite honestly, mm-hmm. but also, you know, you know, by the time we make it to revenge of the Sith, Mace is the first one to finally articulate, Hey, right. I think something's afoot here. Something's wrong. And, and you know, there's something else that's really kind of fun is that this whole, he's too old, he's too old to be trained. And I remember the audience was very shocked by that. They're like, but he's a kid, and I don't get it. And I love that when you go to Return of the, uh, I'm sorry, The Empire Strikes Back, that Yoda, just angry at Luke, angry at what Luke has been. He's a little bit disappointed by who Luke is and his lack of discipline. And he's also frustrated by the fact that he's been in exile for however many years and that everything has gone to hell. And that as a petulant, petty maneuver, he says, well, he's too old. 
He goes back to the Jedi rules when they don't have any alternative. They have no choice. But Yoda's still right. like, well, but we don't do things this way. And, and everyone's like, uh, seriously, Yoda? Seriously? <laughs> You're kidding me, like, right now. Like, that's your mind-blowing me. So... <laughs> After you know, everything we, they went through. We just breeze by this scene here. I mean, a lot of people look at this scene and, and focus on the midi-chlorians and everything, but there is a line of dialogue here which really strikes me as being very profound, and I've talked about it a lot. As a matter of fact, I talk about it in the current issue of Star Wars Insider, uh, number 147. It's the line that Qui-Gon says to Anakin, your focus determines your reality. And it's something that's always just really resonated with me in, in such a huge way. Um, it means that you are in charge of the life you live. And if you want to be bummed out and distraught, then your life will become something that is a bummer and distraught. You know, it's if, if you keep your chin up and you always maintain optimism, then your life will reflect that. And I remember where it hit me personally is about five or six years, six years ago, I was, I was out of work and I was looking for a gig and I was really close to getting this job that I wanted. And I was at the store shopping, you know, just pushing the, the cart around in the produce aisle. And I got the rejection phone call on my cell phone. And when I hung up the phone, I was obviously very bummed. And those words jumped into my mind. Your focus determines your reality. And I no. said, I can sit here and I could curl up in a ball and be upset and depressed and sad that I didn't get this job. Or I can just, like I said, keep my chin up and find, <laughs> find the work that I'm meant to have. And it, you know what? It really worked out for me. And I, I incorporated that into my, my lifestyle, actually. That, that line of dialogue from this film weighs to me it has more weight than just about any line of dialogue in any film your focus determines your reality it's a great lesson to learn well you if you add that to yoda's fortune cookie the whole fear is the path to the dark side you know that whole thing <laughs> um because we never heard these things before you know we we learned this is like new information about how the force works or what star wars is about what it's trying to say and it's funny you should say that because I, you know, I, I think I struggle with those types of things and hear these words subconsciously all the time. You know that 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 when when you're trying to navigate your way through life, you know, there's a really strange balance you need to strike between action and acceptance. That you do have to actually take action. You do actually actually do stuff, but you need to be accepting of the outcome and not too hard on yourself. And and <clears throat> And what will inevitably happen is if you, you fixate too much on what a result, what the result that you want, if you, you know, you, like Palpatine, you, everything has transpired has done so according to my design. You know, if you do that <laughs> and you fixate on the future and you try to manipulate events to go a certain way, you can become obsessed with it. And then furthermore, if it, if it, if the stakes get high enough, you can become very fearful of the alternative. You can become very fearful that if something doesn't go your way, something the, the alternative must, by definition, be awful. And then you start creating fear fantasies. And the more you think about that, the more you have an image of, of that fearful reality, the more that you start living in that. And you start then manifesting that very reality. You start thinking about all these alternatives and you, and you, and you start creating a world 
where the failure has already taken place. <laughs> you're yes. so afraid. Right. You're so afraid that it won't go your way or that something t- bad will happen that you are already living in that world. You've created the fear fantasy and then and now you are actually working to make it happen. Hence, you know, the end. Your focus determines your reality. And then if you skip ahead to episode three, Anakin being responsible for his wife's death rather than, you know, being a you know, being the one who could try to prevent it. You know, like he's afraid she's going to die, so he brings it to he brings it into reality. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, exactly. and then again, I mean I, I you know, I think we all struggle with that. We all struggle yep. with, you know, being so afraid that, you know, that it becomes a part of our reality. Yeah. It's part of you karma, you really. Yeah. And I mean, look at this amazing environment. You really feel like that underneath this the 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 dirt there's all kind of weird worms and bugs and it's just a very alive environment yeah definitely there you see them those two together you're finally seeing uh kira knightley and uh natalie being exposed as the characters they really are that look on uh jake lloyd's face pretty much sums it all up like what the what i think a lot of us in the audience were feeling the same thing yeah, definitely. I didn't realize. I thought for the longest time that they actually superimposed digitally Nadley's face onto another character, but that is Kira Knightley, and uh, there is a resemblance between the two of them that's that's rather striking. Yeah, definitely. That's because they have the same dad, and they don't know that. <laughs> I think Got we, around. See, we see a fat Gungan here in the background somewhere. Not Not... Hey, what's the deal with Boss Nass? How come he doesn't look like any other Gungan? Why aren't his eyes up on stalks? Why doesn't he have the long ears? I think he does have long ears, but they're tucked back. They're, they're tied back, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's what I'm implying about Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman, <laughs> that Boss Nass is actually, his dad was the mailman from Naboo. <laughs> oh, no. And they're all like, well, he looks kind of half human. They're like, no, 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 he's fine. He's just a different, he's, a, he's an Ota Gunga or something. I know. We're hearing a Vader-like breathing. Are you hearing this? Yeah, that's that's Jason. He's, he probably nodded off. He's asleep. <laughs> I'm not asleep. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're you're breathing very heavily. I was. Yeah, it must be Kira Knightley. <laughs> no, it's this. It's this damn microphone. That's what it is. You know, Jason is uh, in his family room. He's not in the. Uh, Typically palatial Rebel Force Radio I'm not. Studios. I'm at a disadvantage here, uh, mm. technically. I was doing my best Darth Vader, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I am a heavy breather by nature. I don't this know why. This movie is about heavy breathers, so don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's right. The, uh, these backgrounds are incredible, but that's, that is, in, in fact, real grass. It's not digital grass. It's the real deal. You know, they, a lot of photographic reality in this film. Yeah, and Naboo is just gorgeous. Not I actually great. forgot, this, Sam, that that point. How much there is that's that's real? Um, yeah. Because of the, for whatever reason, I find myself seeing uh, probably Revenge of the Sith more than any of the other prequels, and then and maybe Attack of the Clones. I don't know why. Whenever Spike is running one of those marathons, it's always Attack of the Clones for me. That's on when I'm flipping around. So I, I tend to see that one a lot. Um, yeah. This one uh, has been a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess I haven't visited this one in a while either, but it's what a gorgeous film. And, and, uh, 
I said it's structured so very like the Star Wars movies we're familiar with and paced very similarly. Um, whereas Attack of the Clones and, and Revenge of the Sith are a little bit different in that regard. True. A little bit. Uh, I would say of all of them, Attack of the Clones is sort of odd, the odd one out. It yeah. Just, And we'll be talking about it uh, the next Short. few weeks. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. We're going there. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going there. You know, it's, it's great to see Phantom Menace like this because when the DVD came out, it was an early DVD transfer. They hadn't, you know, early DVDs didn't look as good as later DVDs. Right. So to, to see this movie in its full glory is really a treat. Yeah, I hear um, many saying uh, when the, the reviews on this Blu-ray said that it looked better than even the theatrical release. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the aspect, ra- the aspect ratio was always messed up, I guess, on previous home video releases. So the Blu-ray is the first time that it yeah. was uh, actually presented correctly. We see everything. Now, the one thing I like about you – know, one thing. Uh, another thing I like about Darth Maul is that they felt no need to make him a tall brute like Darth Vader. That he's a, just a normal-sized guy with facial tattoos and uh, – I think that's a good move. I mean, it's this talk we always had, me and Dave and Dave and George, that when you do these villains, they have to be different. You know, you don't do Darth Vader again. Don't do Darth Maul again. Don't do well. <laughs> he said that to me, and I said, "Yes, yeah, Savage Press, really, come on." <laughs> but, but, yeah, but you know what, though, the, the, Sam, isn't it funny how the expanded universe all became tattooed red? And yes. black Sith. Yes. Whereas I, I don't recall, uh, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the old Marvel series days, uh, you didn't see a bunch of uh, Vader clones or Vader ripoffs, did you? No, I, I can't really uh, put my finger on anyone I would call a Vader ripoff or anything that even came close to Vader. Um, yeah, the, the, there was definitely a, a big distinction between the Dark Lord of the Sith and the. Yes. You know, random well, one of the, bad guys. The ch- one of the challenges that, that uh, I heard Filoni telling me about the Clone Wars, and we'll get, I'll, I'll say this really quick so we can get back to the Phantom Mass. But um, one of the challenges he said was that he's like, every time we have a battle and there's Anakin and the bad guys and stuff like that, he's like, we have to remember the bad guys are up against Darth Vader. <laughs> that <laughs> the bad guys are in trouble <laughs> when right. Anakin is involved. Um, okay, this is, I mean, look at this. This is so very Star Wars. Just looks right. And, uh, and also, you know, there's these little details, like there's a, God, you mean, you like pick up a, a part of the frame and see someone's plight or see a battle droid that just went before his time and <laughs> widowed his battle droid wife and kids. <laughs> there's one battle droid that goes down and his, his gun just goes off like a machine gun right here on the right. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. He just goes down. <laughs> and this was, and also seeing the, the Jedi as mobile cover. And with everyone behind them was something that I'd certainly thought about, but we'd never really seen it, which was really kind of fun. Um, and then here's the thing. Clearly, this movie was being recut in the last effort because you see all these good guys fighting. They're fighting. The music now is turning hopeful as they're taking off with their ships. Okay, the music's swelling. R2 gets in there. The music is swelling. It's getting bigger. And everything is cool. Anakin gets into the cockpit. And then this guy gets shot, and they hear the Star Wars theme. <laughs> you see this poor soldier, this Naboo soldier. 
he gets shot and you hear bum, 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 which I, I, I have to say, I think there's a deleted scene where that guy maybe touched Anakin, you know, and so, or, or something, you know, or that guy, like he just, he just cheated on his wife and left his children like destitute and ran off with this woman. And then he, and then he got involved in this Naboo stuff. So when, you know, so when you insert that deleted scene, you realize him getting shot is a, is actually a heroic moment. You know? It is a little out of place, is it not? Is it, uh... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Cheer yeah. the loss of him. <laughs> he gets hit in the chest, and you play the Star Wars theme. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Star Wars theme. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, it's um, it's not used that much in the prequels. The actual Star Wars theme, whereas it's everywhere in the original trilogy, and and I, I get why. And I, I, I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, if John Williams is making the statement that that's Luke Skywalker's theme, then I understand why we seldom hear it. And then, you know, lo and behold, I, I mean, I remember saying to someone, I'm like, if at the end of Revenge of the Sith, we see Luke as a baby and we hear the Star Wars theme, that will make it clear to me. And of course, we get that wonderful moment where Obi-Wan is handing off the baby and you hear this beautiful rendition of the Star Wars theme. But having said that... um, it would have been nice to hear it more because it's just it is the main theme as well as Luke Skywalker's right. theme. Yeah, right. It's, it's like when you go to see a, a James Bond movie, you want to hear that classic James theme Bond. at some point in the film, and you know more than once. Quite honestly, if you're like me, and uh, it is it is something that sort of establishes it as being a, a Star Wars film, or, or those uh, is that music. And of course, you can hear me and David Collins talking about the music of John Williams every month. <laughs> On Star Wars Oxygen is here. Great podcast. The, uh, I love that. By the way, uh, no uh, Academy Award nomination for John Williams on Best Score for this film. Oh, ridiculous, because it's a brilliant... I was going to bring up the score when we get to Duel of the Fates. By the way, they're, they're following the, the Dune rules when it comes to force fields, that if you move slowly through them, you can get through them. But fast moving... <laughs> no, but that, that was the whole thing. You remember they, were, they had to learn how to knife fight. Captain Picard was, was uh, showing the dude from Twin Peaks... Uh, how to how to knife fight with the force field. He's like you have to move slowly and then and then stab and then move fast and slowly and that that's there's lore that that actually says that that's how that works. Um, stay in that cockpit. Stay in that cockpit. What? what, yeah. what, 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 what like, how I long? I mean, what, what? But I don't have my Game Boy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How long was he going to be stuck there? <laughs> I got a uh, pee. The, yeah, go. they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna go around. They're gonna take the long way. Um, so I mean, Darth Maul obviously is on a mission here to oh, go wow. after the Jedi. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't make a move for the Queen. He doesn't oh. make a move for anybody. He is after well, he's these got, two Jedi. He's been uh, waiting his he's, he's been waiting his whole them. life for this. This is the moment he's well, been waiting that's for. The thing he's been the Sith have been trained and they've been in the shadows for, you know, a th- over a thousand years. And now it's time for them to emerge. And this is the guy who gets to do it. So you can imagine right. he's very excited right now that this is, you know, Palpatine actually manifested in Revenge of the Sith. When he's fighting Yoda, he's laughing his ass off, right? Because it's the best day of his life. He finally yeah. gets to drop the curtain and, and be the warrior that, that he was meant to be. But Darth Maul, same thing. I mean, he's like, it's, it's like a Sith teenager who's been, finally given the keys to the car and and it's got to be it's, you know i love that that mythology about the whole rule of two and and mm. of course we know more about that now with the with the lost missions of the clone wars that we get even a little bit more history about what that's all about um 
I'm, and you I'm know, and like you know that Maul is just totally turned on by the fact that it's two against one. I mean, he oh, just totally. yeah. loves this. This is he's <laughs> like, that's why I built a double bladed lens. Do you get it now? <laughs> it. It no one got it, but then I and I thought I was stupid for doing it, but now who's laughing? yeah, all, who's laughing? That's right. Who's laughing now? They all <laughs> told me I was wasting my time. This fight was so mind blowing to see for the first time. I mean, especially since. Darth Maul, I mean, this was like what a Sith Lord looked like when he didn't have to wear a, a metal suit, you know? Right. Um, I mean, even compare it against, uh, you know, I love, love the lightsaber duel in Empire Strikes Back. I just, there's very, very, the, the story that it tells, you know, Vader holding the, the blade with, with one hand and toying with Luke, etc. cetera, as, as, as great as it is, I mean, when you saw this and they really just open up it was uh, it was incredible, and it really feels like they're fighting in a legitimate Star Wars environment. It almost yes. feels like it could be part of Cloud City in a way, uh, yeah. with the, the the catwalks with no railing and all the the strange reactors in the background and everything. It, it just well, feels like Star that Wars. Plus the music, the music is John fantastic. Williams is. There, he's making a musical statement that he's never made in the Star Wars movies before. You, we're hearing a, a full chorus singing something that we don't, we know not what they sing, but it's a significant moment that this this battle is determining the fate of something. And really, what it is, it's the fate of Anakin Skywalker. That is this kid going to turn out okay? Does he have the proper mentorship, or does he not? And the the real shame of it is that he this this is a giant failure. That this goes wrong. This is when history goes wrong. That it, had Qui-Gon Jinn lived, the Sith would have had a major player to contend with as far as corrupting the Republic and corrupting Anakin Skywalker. Because this was the guy who got it. This was the guy who was, you know, the true Jedi. And the next true Jedi we see, you know, happens 30 years later, 40, 35 years later. Right. Skywalker. Um, but, uh, but really, forty years later, by the time Luke becomes a Jedi, he's more like just under thirty years old, um, and this is ten years before Luke is born. But having said, or more like fourteen years, my God, like this, forgetting all the timeline stuff. I mean, this is long before all that. But uh, but yeah, Qui Gon Jinn is is he's sort of this wonderful. Um, he's he's this key piece to everything, yes. and he. Yes. Uh, in, well, I think those... that it was Roger Ebert that uh, uh, actually said to Liam Neeson, "How does it feel to be playing John the Baptist?" Yes, uh, which is uh, is is a very appropriate analogy. Well, and, and, and we always thought that was going to be Obi Wan Kenobi, and and frankly, it was going to be to from a certain point of view. I'll I'll tell the story. I may as well tell the story now. That an original idea was that Obi Wan Kenobi was played by the Liam Neeson. He was the Liam Neeson character. And Qui-Gon Jinn was the Ewan McGregor character. And, oh. uh, and I will tell the, the conclusion of the story. Well, I'll tell it right now. Basically, that what happens is that, you know, uh, the same thing. Obi-Wan believes in Anakin. Qui-Gon doesn't really quite know what to make of it. He doesn't think that Obi-Wan is doing it right. All this stuff is happening. And then when Obi-Wan Kenobi... Liam Neeson gets slain by Darth Maul um, as a matter of loyalty. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn becomes Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ah, very and, interesting. And so when Luke says, 
said he was looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi. He goes, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. And he's remembering his old master. And remembering, oh. his, and remembering the mission he was charged with to not just take care of this boy, but to be his old master. Which, of course, you know, the Jedi knew he wasn't the original Obi-Wan Kenobi, but that right. was who he wanted to become. He wanted to be his master. And, and that idea is still in this film, that when we see Ewan McGregor in the next film, he looks like Qui-Gon Jinn. You know? Yes, that's true. And he's starting to behave more like Qui-Gon Jinn. And this, oh God, this was beautiful. How, how this, this difference between the Jedi and the Sith and where they draw their power from, that, that they're both, you know, they've both been fighting. They need a little rest. So they both have to replenish themselves. So, uh, so the Jedi sits and meditates and tries to calm himself and accept what's happening. And the Sith just, it's rage. And it's just keeping that energy going and just, you know, and menacing over him. Wonderful, wonderful, you know, decision to, uh, to put that moment in there. Now the tide turns for the Gungan army. They <laughs> lose that, that force field. And uh, it's get, getting, you know, borderline slapsticky here with Jar Jar. Um, but you can compare it to maybe a Charlie Chaplin film where he's wreaking havoc, but yet destroying what needs to be destroyed at the same time. Yeah, sure. And then, you know, they, there were moments in the Ewok battle. Uh, right, of Endor, right. absolutely. Where things got a little. Uh, thinking of the slingshot, you know, and Wicket's face, and a few other things. But uh, yeah, yeah. This this actually reminds me actually of the Three Stooges uh, bit when they're uh, running after the the beer barrels as they're going down the hill. <laughs> yeah, uh, <right>. yeah. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> and of course, and this kind of reminds fights. me of Indiana Jones. Isn't there a moment in one of the Indiana Jones films where Indy gets on one of the the tank? Uh, guns. Yeah. My, yeah, you're right. Yeah, where it, yeah. he does. He last, I think it's in Last Crusade. Last Crusade. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even well, the know, way the, that tank tears into the ground, the the, the, yeah. the special effects, I mean, you know, it's it's real easy to say, wow, it's amazing and everything. But I, I think, you know, as we look at this film 15 years later, and yes, it has been 15 years, yeah. that it really does stand up. It stands up to what's being made today. I agree. Yeah. What's hard to believe is that there's been as much time that has elapsed between the f- time this film was released originally and now as between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace. Oh my God. Ooh. Very true. Yeah. Wow. That's weird to think about. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a blink of an eye, but that time between 1983 and 1999 seemed like an eternity. 16 mm. years. Right. Wow. And yes, these um, ships, I mean, they, they are, they are fifties hot rods. I mean, yeah. But, the, well, the they're fins exactly. The he's yeah. driving Paul Lamette's car from American graffiti. That's what he Yes. Doing. Yes. Which he also does in attack of the clones as well. Same color. Same, right. color. same color. But, but they're, it's That's not right, only, yeah. they're not only the hot rods from American graffiti, but they're also the rocket ships from flash Gordon. They're, they're designed right. very simply. I love that. And now here's this, God, this is uh, what's wonderful is that there's little details where if um, a friend of mine said that when you deal with combatants who can see things before they happen, the first man who blinks dies. And I, the guy named Evan Robertson, who I went to 
to Juilliard with and a smart guy. Now watch you, McGregor. He sees it right before it happens. He sees Qui-Gon's death the moment before it takes place. He's watching and then yep. you see he sharp intake of breath. Yep. Yep. Wow. And uh, very cool. I, you know, I, I do love these little new insights we get to how the Jedi operate, how they work, how it works to be a Jedi. And now then you and McGregor. Uh, uh, sorry, Sam, but at this moment I'm thinking, why hasn't he, dis- why hasn't he disappeared? Right. Right. <laughs> no, let's talk about that. That's what a great question we all had is, uh, you know? Right. I mean, that, that, uh, well, okay. So he's, he's still alive at this point. Um, well, but, but I but remember st- thinking that. Yeah. But even at the end of the movie, they, they have to burn him in a funeral pyre. 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 What's going on? It's a southern version. It's a southern funeral pyre. Put him on the funeral pyre. And then we, we, roasted, we, we roasted a pig on a spit among his funeral pyre. <laughs> <laughs> and then had some s'mores. Um, but. Oh, imagine the smell of all that hair, by the way. All that hair burning is just rough. Exactly. One of the wonderful things about all of the George Lucas-produced Star Wars is that it's all pretty vital. Um, You can watch these movies by themselves and get a complete story. If you decide to put Clone Wars in there, you're going to get a lot more insight. But but you're also going to have more questions, which is the wonderful thing about it. Um, You know... Every answer to a question opens up five more provocative questions. Oh, and here, let's just yep. marvel at this moment. Whew. Of course, the sound design here. Is yeah, they, just... they never topped it. They never topped this. Never, never. The, um, there is a... The choreography plays out like a ballet at this moment. It does. You, I well, mean, artistically speaking, this is really... The most sublime of all the lightsaber duels. Oh, it's so amazing! It's it's wonderful, and it's all a master shot. That's why it works so well. I feel like in Revenge of the Sith, they did too many cuts. I want to see, essentially, I want you know, yes. it's a Bruce Lee movie. You want to see Bruce Lee doing all those things. You don't want to see like some sort of tr- photographic trickery or some, you know, some fast cuts, and you know, you want to see that it's actually Bruce Lee doing all these moves, and that's what you get with Ewan McGregor and Ray Park here. And again, Ray Park just bringing such physical presence to the role of Darth Maul. I, I, get, I credit that guy so much, and really, you know, I, he was integral thinking about what he did to, to voicing the character for me. I had to really think a lot about what Ray did. But um, what's, what's awesome about Obi-Wan, and it's consistent through the Clone Wars, they, they always say he's kind of, He's one of the best, but he's not the best. He's not the best of the best. He's not one of the. He's not the best swordsman. He's not the best pilot, but he's really good. But mm. he has these a game moments. Well, we just saw an a game moment. Um, and there's another one. For example, you know, in the Clone Wars, he's losing. He loses his first fight to Darth Maul pretty hardcore. He does not even hold a candle to Darth Maul when him and Ventress fight Savage and Maul. He loses. But then the next time he fights, he's up against Savage and Darth Maul, and um, who had, the, his Jedi partner had been killed. Who was it? It was uh, Adi Galia had just been killed. Right. And just like Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan then has his A-game moment where he, he stands up to Darth Maul and, uh, and Savage and drives them off. You know, it's, I, I just like that the character elements are consistent. 
what right. activates these people when they're at their best and when they're not. And then, of course, I'm missing this key moment where Anakin <laughs> blows up the droid thing. Yeah, I'm busy talking about Obi-Wan. I was just wondering. What did you think? You know, J- Jimmy, yeah. Jason, what did you guys think when you saw Anakin blow up the droid ship? What was your take on that? Well, my first question was, they, they spent a lot of time talking about how the, the shields were impenetrable, and yet Anakin flies right into the hangar. So that's the main thing that I was always concerned with was, if you can't get through the shields, how did he get into the hangar? Well, then you have to assume, well, he must have flown in while some other ships were flying out at the same time. And that's how he was able to break through. And if you actually freeze frame it at that moment, you will see those droid ships flying out of the hangar at the exact same time he flies in. Mm. So they drop the shields around the hangar for just that brief moment. And that's how Anakin's able to get in there. And then just by sheer dumb luck, he starts hitting, or will of the force, he finds the the button that fires off those torpedoes and it happens to be pointed directly at the reactor. Right. So well, I think- what I took away from it is that it uh it kind of shows why Vader is the only one that's really concerned uh when we get to episode 4. Yes, he's, <laughs> oh, <that's brilliant. laughs> he's seen this he's he's seen this before. Right. <laughs> what a good out. point. He's like, guys, I wasn't even trying, and I blew up on these things. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the only thing I wish, I wish that Anakin had been more deliberate, you know, that, that he had the skill enough and the mm-hmm. luck enough to fly into that hangar. But I kind of wish that there was even a moment where Anakin just felt like, I, that thing over there, I'm going to aim my ship at that and shoot it. You know, right. I have an instinct that. Looks that looks important. That, yeah, I have, like, just like that the force was guiding him, that he had an instinct to follow. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it being a lucky shot, um, you know, perhaps is not the most satisfying to me. I want to see the kid, you know, prevail. Now, this is interesting. Um, the introduction. Yes. Palpatine to Anakin. I should watch your career with great interest yes. and totally now hit on your girlfriend. <laughs> And then, hey, what's up with uh, fake mace in the background? I know, not fooling anyone. Hey, not Sam Jackson. Anyone. Of course, you um, by the way, where is fake mace? I didn't care. Watch, I never watch that the before. shot. You see that Palpatine is between Anakin and Obi Wan in this shot. Uh, and, I got. Uh, I'm. I, I'm rewinding that later. Yeah, you fake have to mace, look. I've not seen. Look that. for fake mace. It certainly is not Samuel Jackson. Here we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, now this was the very first look at CGI Yoda. When they showed him walking, we've never really right. seen Yoda. Well, we did see him briefly walking in uh, Empire Strikes Back, but it was a really long shot and hard to make out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here you actually see it for uh, the first time ever. And this is the first time we hear the Imperial theme, which is also Vader's theme. Um, mm. Very, very slightly in the background, which was a real thrill in the theater to barely hear that. Now let's talk about John Williams. This is one of his best scores of all time. Yeah. And you oh, don't want to, yeah, absolutely. And, and the unfortunate thing is that you don't get a score like this ever again in a star Wars movie, because clearly they were editing up to the last minute. So he never got a chance to score to a whole movie, but this one, you got the feeling that he scored the whole movie. Little moments were scored. Little, little character ticks had music call-outs and all. It just really, he, he breathed life and atmosphere and emotion into all these moments and created all these wonderful new themes that, that 
propelled us into the next films. He, this soundtrack, this score, does not get the credit that it deserves. It's no, I mean way just the just the way, better. just the way he deconstructed the Imperial March to create Anakin's theme is oh just uh, that in and of itself. I mean, who is writes it, like that? Who puts that much thought into their well? And the answer is nobody. Well, and that's the thing. You know, the guy has a real understanding of the mythology of this of these films he understands what's being said he understands what's at stake and he understands these characters and i just love him for that i think we all love him for that and uh and you know speaking of his brilliance they talk about the sith lord who might he be and this film does not totally tip you off to that guy being darth sidious but star wars fans we all knew but then when you listen to this music if you didn't quite know this is a children's chorus singing essentially in a major key a song that we heard in Return of the Jedi which was sung by a men's chorus in a minor key which is the Emperor's theme exactly Ah. Exactly. this music that's playing is the Emperor's theme sung in a major by children so that essentially they're playing out the end of A New Hope that they're marching and everyone they're coming down and Princess Leia is giving the medals they're doing the same beat here with all the characters presented Everyone being very proud because the good guys have won, while at the same time playing the theme, triumphant theme of the villain of the entire piece, because ultimately Palpatine won. Ultimately, this whole movie is about Palpatine gaining the presidency, and no one knows it. No one knows that this guy, look at him smiling there, (laughs) because everything has gone his way. Every battle that the good guys won, you know, even the loss of Darth Maul, it's a setback, but he already he's already putting some plans into motion as to how he's going to uh, correct that. And notice that when everyone cheered, did you guys see that? There was a little shot. When he says peace, everyone cheered, and Palpatine stood there smiling warmly, but he didn't move. Did, did, <laughs> he didn't right. move. He didn't cheer right. with the rest of them. He just smiled, and he was smiling as if he wasn't necessarily experiencing the same type of joy. And that's, oh, God, it's brilliant. John Williams is just, he is... There are there are people that have been involved in this in this franchise. People who, I mean, they're you know they're too innumerable to name. But I mean, you have Mark Hamill giving us the best protagonist we've possibly ever had in a movie saga, the most complete journey of a protagonist, a hero's journey. You have George Lucas, obviously, you know, creating this whole thing in his head. Uh, you know, Irving Kirshner, um, you know, Ben Burt creating the. The you know, the sounds of this and you know Ralph McQuarrie and Ralph McQuarrie creating the the visual influences and and then you know and 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 then again John Williams tying it all together with this uh, <laughs> with he's the you know as you say he is the oxygen through which all of all of the characters breathe and and move and the wind of the story is is. Uh, you know, blows from the horns that John Williams commands. You know, it's really incredible. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. It doesn't make any much sense, but you have to try. No, but, it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? A lot of our listeners are wondering is, is what does Arnold really think of this film? No, it's great because uh, the, the scene with the explosion and the, and the, and the good guys win, but the crazy, the crazy thing is that the bad guys win. The bad guys win. No one knows it. 
but they think the good guys win, but the bad guys are like, yeah, that's right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. All the good guys are like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Hi, hi. And then at the same time, Palpatine's like, yeah, wait when you see it. Yeah. I'll be back. Don't worry. Oh, my God. I, I, just, the, just the idea of Schwarzenegger just... Just breaking down with the wars, like just—he's <laughs> this huge fan. No, he loves it's to crazy. Just... No, I love it. I love his movies. I've been watching these movies for a long time, and uh, and uh, I love movies. I love going to the gym. I love love children. It's great. <laughs> I, that was uncalled for, man. That was. <laughs> it's all right. I don't know why I said that. It had to be done. It had to be done. I, I'll tell we you all what. We love would... Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Right, let me let me ask you guys. Okay, so we're watching the uh, the end. I mean, the, the end credits. I mean, everything just fits so well uh, with episode one. With uh, you know the, the the way that the uh, the original films were were done from the the, the opening crawler, the 20th Century Fox fanfare, all those little bookend things. What do you think they're going to keep? What do you think Disney's going to keep? Is Disney going to keep the the way the credits roll? Is Disney going to keep the crawler? Is Disney going to keep the way the Star Wars uh, 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 key art flies? You know, uh, into space. Yeah, so, I, I don't. I don't see them shaking that up at, at all. I, I think they recognize yeah. the value of the franchise is the franchise itself as it's been established, and I think they're going to follow along with that blueprint to the letter. You think so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of course they would. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that I hope Disney does, they actually have a opening fanfare from their old movies that would fit Star Wars quite well. Um, it, maybe if one of the fans out there could look up what this is, it's there used to be a logo of Mickey Mouse that would spin, and there'd be a song that went bam 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 like that's that's what they need to use it's it's a disney theme they used it for years it was i believe in the beginning of i think it was in the beginning of black hole i'm not sure mm, wow. maybe Twenty Thousand leagues i'm not maybe maybe not Twenty Thousand leagues i'm not sure but it was for a while their one of their opening fanfare and it's so similar well not it's similar in not musically but but in style and in sure that they should uh, go back into their libraries and find the one that works the best. And, and it's, you know, because the original Star Wars, they have that old, hell, episode four, they use an old recording of the 20th Century Fox yeah. fanfare, and it worked very, very well. Okay, this you know, is something, announcing, uh, something yeah. me and David just talked on, uh, the, the recent version of Oxygen. Um, we, we, we discussed uh, what we'd like to see in place of that, because it's obvious we're not going to see the 20th Century Fox logo or hear the fanfare at the beginning of star wars episode seven and i almost prefer to have a silent intro where there's none of that going on where you just maybe see the disney logo if you even see it at all or just open it up silently flash up the lucasfilm logo and then show a long time ago in a galaxy far far away just reverence silence and then the the star wars main theme Oh, they could mm. do that too. They could definitely do that too. That would be a reverent way of doing it. But you know what? I am uh, making a note of that uh, Disney intro, and um, I think we're going to track that down. And on a future episode of Rebel Force Radio, we'll uh, we'll listen to that and uh, 
and uh, see how it matches up with the classic 20th century Fox fanfare. Uh, guys, you know it's going to be When You Wish Upon a Star. No. <laughs> no Please no. Please oh, no. Yeah, Maybe be... a little supercalifragilistic. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> You've been Maybe watching too many like... of those princess movies. Yeah, come on. Let's not. Chip chippery, chip chippery. Almost. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So what a, what a great time it's been. I, I assume no one is oh, going to yeah. be calling the uh, 1-800 phone THX number. Uh, Again, yeah, we uh, had a good experience, so we're so we're cool. <laughs> we're cool with it. We're cool with it. And I, I'm uh, quite certain all of our listeners uh, who uh, went on this little journey with us tonight, uh, I think you guys are cool with it too. So, uh, Sam, once again, uh, bringing so many interesting insights and observations and opinions to the table, you certainly gave me uh, food for thought, but nothing like uh, uh, Swank's TC fourteen. Fart reference? <laughs> yes, I never. I've never thought dude, of it. Thank you for that, man. I didn't even, <laughs> thank I you, didn't Jason. You thought there was only one fart joke in Canada. <laughs> you I brought mean. your A game tonight, Jason. Thank <laughs> you so much for that. <laughs> and, no uh, problem. So, Sam, uh, you know, um, and, and thank you again for uh, um, making time in your schedule to go back and look at. All the, the things that we take out of the Phantom Menace in a very positive frame of yeah. mind, too, because it gets so tiresome. As someone who appreciates this film, like myself, I, I appreciate this film for the masterpiece that it is. And I try not to hold it up against anything else and just judge it on what it is and where it establishes the the origin of the saga. And and. I'm I'm just refreshed by this this whole viewing that we just had. It, it really has restored my faith and and made makes me a believer in the Phantom Menace as a very appropriate introduction into the Star Wars saga. Yeah, well, let's also remember, and we've said it in podcasts before, that no Star Wars movie, save perhaps Return of the Jedi was ever anywhere near people's expectations for what a Star Wars movie should be. The first one, episode four, didn't there were no one knew what to expect. The Empire Strikes Back, now they were expecting a fun adventure movie and they didn't get that. Return of the Jedi sort of matched the tone of the original, so they kinda knew what they were getting into. But then no other Star Wars movie, again, it just never ever it was always something different. And this was a movie that George wanted to create a macro representation of political problems eroding not only the uh, the uniform uh, morality of the public, but also the morality of the characters living in the public and, and how it would start eating away at this kid who would then eventually become Space Hitler. So <laughs> Space Hitler. <laughs> space Hitler. <laughs> Sad but true. I, I, uh, by the wow. way, Space Hitler, I think that was one of Mel Brooks's latest films, wasn't it? <laughs> It sounds a little bit like <laughs> it, does. it does. A Mel Brooks joint. Well, hey Sam, so thank you so much, and we're looking forward to getting together again for episode two, Attack of the Clones. Really looking forward to it. Like you were saying, you know, it's it's with all the negativity out there, it's low hanging fruit to sit there and talk about, you know, well, oh, this doesn't work and that doesn't work and I don't like this, and it's like, no, guys, let's let's have fun with this. Let's you know, let's have a good time. Right. You know, when people go back and they analyze the works of William Shakespeare, who, let's face it, I mean, he wasn't always perfect. There's flaws in his work, too. There's a lot of 
incomplete work that he constructed, but people analyze it for what it is. And they don't say, you know, Shakespeare really should have done this. You know, I mean, you don't hear that. And, right. and, and, you know, for me and you guys and everyone listening to this show, I, you know, this is, this is our modern day Shakespeare. This is the mythology. This is the, the fiction that really drives us and inspires us. And yeah. so we need to look for, at it for the inspiration and not be so critical all the time and uh that's that's what like i said really refreshes me about having this viewing with you guys i I said already that it's kind of restored my faith in this film it it, it didn't restore my faith but it validated my faith oh sure you know i what i saw this movie many times in the theater and dug very deep into what it was saying dug very deep into you know the mythology of this film and uh and got a lot out of it when i was watching it i really you know so yeah, it's you know there's there's a lot of good to be found here, a lot of really fun stuff, and uh, and I if if there's anything that I appreciate the prequels for is it's by it's it's for a few things is is essentially the character upgrades. Palpatine becomes a much more dangerous character when you see the prequels, and Luke Skywalker becomes a much more heroic original character when you see the prequels. Because they're really painting this picture that the Jedi, as awesome as they are, waving laser swords around, aren't getting it. And if anyone thinks that's, you know, that that's never, that that's not the intention, see how the Clone Wars, uh, you know, elaborates on that. They, they go into great detail at the failing of this institution, that the Jedi are a failing institution. And that what they represent is, are not failure ideas these are the right ideas but they don't know how to implement them and it isn't until luke skywalker that uh you know that they get that back hence return of the jedi you know right right why it couldn't be revenge it had to be return had to be return yeah so anyway guys thank you so much this was a lot of fun i I can't wait to do the next one it's gonna be great that's all right well thanks a lot sam and uh we'll see you for episode two awesome thanks guys all right my friend All right, everybody, thank you so much for hanging with us and watching episode one. Uh, it's uh, been a long time coming. We've been promising that we would get to the prequels, and, uh, and we finally did. And I think it was well worth the wait, Jim, to have Sam on, uh, particularly with his connection to the Darth Maul character, really, really added to the conversation for sure. Yeah, and of course you can't go wrong with the analysis coming from Sam Witwer. I, I really don't think there's anyone inside fandom well, I mean, Sam, you know, he's even, you know, inside the actual production of Star Wars. But as far as being a, a Star Wars fan, he provides an analysis that just knocks me on my socks all the time. He, it, it seems like every shot, every frame, Sam has some sort of observation, explanation, analysis, conclusion. It, It's so refreshing to hear from him. And... I, I just I, I really can't wait to uh, uh, get to Attack of the Clones because uh, that's a film for me that really requires some in-depth discussion 
there's so much going on in all of these films, and what Sam brings to the table is unparalleled in my 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 opinion. So yeah, well, we're really fortunate to have him uh, playing with us for these uh, for these commentaries. So as we said, we will be back uh, soon for our commentary on episode two attack of the clones in the meantime you can uh, send your comments to us show at rebelforceradio.com we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio and your home your source for all things and everything rebelforceradio rebelforceradio.com the official website so until next time for rebelforce radio i'm jason and i'm jimmy mack and remember the force will be with you always always